One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 477. Just Golf Guy, alongside Johnny V. Another night. Another Tuesday night, 477 later. You know, just 477 nights ago, Terry, or 477 Tuesday nights ago. Yeah, give or take. We uh, we had a few extras uh, during you know some of our big events, and then also we missed a week or two in there. So it's it's been a long time coming. Uh, yeah, November. We're we're gonna be just shy. Uh, come next episode or two, we're gonna be just shy of what that nine year mark. I don't know what we're all doing here, but uh, it's, Nine years it's been a long ride, and we're here. So again, 477 tonight, we've got some updates. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty with the guys over at UDISC. They've got some uh, new enhancements that released uh, just about a week ago or so, and everybody's been kind of curious as to how it works, what's going on, what does this really mean, how does this impact you, and why you need to buy a pro membership. All of those types of things are in the works, and uh, I don't think we're going to even stall or hang this out any longer. We've got Matt and Duca, who are joining us from UDISC. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey, doing good. Hello. Thanks for having us. Oh, always. We, we get UDISC on about every... I'd say 100 episodes because they usually, you know, and normally for a long time, no offense, Duca, but it was always Matt and Josh. And we've dumped, we've dumped Josh. Did you guys kill him off? You just, you know, (laughs) put him in the basement and let him just code. That's where he's happiest. Nope. Yeah, Josh is still here. Don't worry. He's doing just fine. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) As they slide some bread underneath a a door and they keep coding, (laughs) keep coding. Well, welcome in, guys. Uh, As we said, you know, you guys have been along for all of the crazy excitement that's been the Pro Tour, and and then some, of course. But in 2016, uh, as if I need to explain this to any of our viewers, but in you know 2016, when we saw the Pro Tour take off, a, a few of the most crucial components to the Pro Tour for Steve Dodge and his original vision was that every event would have 
live disc golf broadcasting, which at the time was pretty much us at Smashbox, and that it would also have live scoring and enhanced statistics and other uh, trackable things that you guys have started with and then blossomed into a million additional capabilities. But it's been quite a journey. So before we get into some of the new stuff, uh, Matt, maybe you're better with this, but did you ever think we'd all be where we are today, now, here? Can you reflect for just a minute? It's hard to reflect. I mean, it's been a whirlwind and a long path to get here, but it's definitely been cool to watch the sport grow. So much has changed since 2016. I know you guys know that just about as well as anybody, but the just the landscape of the pro scene and recreational disc golf has just continued to grow so fast. And um, we feel very lucky to be in the position that we're in, but we're also just thankful to be able to work in, you know, a field that is something we're all very passionate about. So I know you guys feel the same way. Uh, it's It's been cool to be, you know, friends with you guys for a long time, too. I know we've, I don't know how long ago we we first met, but it was probably 2016 or 2015 or something like that. Um, so coming up on 10 years here, which <laughs> crazy amount of time. I think we just finished our eighth season um, with Udisc Live and the Disc Golf Pro Tour. So it's been quite a lot of tournaments. We just, we had 66 tournaments, I think this year overall, um, DGPT plus others and a very, very long year. I think the first year we did five, mm-hmm. um, for the DGPT. And now, you know, this year, 66, we had many weekends with three or four at the same time, which is something that not would have not been anywhere close to possible, uh, eight years ago. So it's definitely, uh, it's hard to reflect on, but it, it's been a lot and it's, uh, very exciting and we're just very lucky and happy to be where we are. So UDISC has been around for eight, you know, eight, nine, ten years now. How long has Duca been with Udisk? Duca's the lead data scientist, if I'm correct. Oh, that sounds yes. fancy. Yeah, data scientist. I'm I'm one of two data scientists at UDISC. I've I've been around for uh coming up on three years here. Um I think I started as uh, sort of a freelance basis uh pretty pretty close to three years ago um and then uh, a few months later i joined full-time so what does yeah. the lead data scientist do and like is that something you went to school for is this something like you came out of college and you're like all right i'm a data analyst and yeah. where am i gonna work i love disc golf and you just is like hello like what's how, how exactly way, did you- it's, <laughs> it's not not too far off from the truth um yeah data scientist is a very very broad term um my you know, educational background is in math. I, I uh, have a PhD in mathematics. So, you know, numerical literacy is, you know, kind of top of mind to me, but um, also had a huge hobby in disc golf and happened to be finishing my program um, right during the COVID boom and saw an ad for uh, UDISC wanting to hire for various roles and I applied and uh, the rest is history. So that's that's how I got my start. So let's um, just, but, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, well, go ahead and finish whatever you, you, as you got your start. Um, the quick follow-up to that would be, are you doing exactly as the, the do, the job description maybe laid out? How, how is that transitioned if at all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a small team, you know, everybody on the team really wears many hats and, um, you know, you need to be able to pivot and solve problems. So, you know, day to day, I would I would consider myself and everybody on the team. This goes for everybody as as problem solvers. 
Uh, my particular role is problems around data. Um, other people may, you know, focus more on problems around solving customer problems, uh, problems around um, building building the you know actual app around software. But you know, every everybody's a problem solver, and you know, my corner is is around is around data. So whether that's getting insights from data, building products around data, um, understanding statistics. Uh, as it relates to the business or as, as it relates to the pro scene or as it relates to the everyday casual uh, player, um, just anything around data. So what what do you live in? Like, I, I have a feeling Matt, like he does coding and a lot of other business side yeah. of the stuff. But so I, I have a feeling like Matt's looking at some code editor, like VS Code or something along those yeah. lines. Like what programs do you live in? And I, maybe our viewers yeah. have no interest in this, but I do. Like, sure. are, are you an Excel guy? Is this like Google Sheets? I'm, or do you have yeah, like some... Yeah, we're, we're also like, mostly mostly coders. Um, yeah, the, the language of choice for a lot of data scientists. And I'm going to start a war by saying that uh, I like Python uh, rather than Damn! R. <laughs> Team Python! <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so so I my language of choice is Python. That's that's what we mostly use for, for our uh, data products. Um, but yeah, living in a code, code editor for the most part, um, you know, here and there, there will be a spreadsheet or something else, but um, most mostly the way that I interact with with the data is. I, so I want to take a quick step back because you said such a, a great phrase when you say problem solving. And for those who might be new and because it's been a little while, Matt, explain to the world how UDISC even just originally came about and the, the problem that you guys were looking to solve and, and why you just even formed. Sure. I'm sure plenty of people have heard it before. Um, but you just kind of came about from a personal need to be, have an easier way to find courses nearby on a mobile device in particular. So, you know, there are some websites, uh, and other tools out there, but the, the exact origin story is a, went to play Bryant Lake Park for the first time, which is a fairly well-known course in the Minneapolis area and showed up and it was closed. There were cops like turning people away because it was closed for the season. Um, and my friends had driven quite a ways to get there. And so we were like, this stinks. Like, how do we find somewhere else to play? We don't know this part of town. Um, and, you know, eventually some, you know, very kludgy internet searches on our phones, we were able to find somewhere to play, but I was like, this should be way easier um, you need to use the GPS in your phone and just hit a button and be like, show me all the courses. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, what first started it. So Udisc was purely just a course finder in its first inception. Um, it was Android only. It was only Minnesota courses. And then it expanded from there. And the scorecard came about and, and you know, more, more and more features kept being added. And then uh, Udisc Live came to be a thing. Uh, and then we just kept building from there. And, and um, a few years later, we were able to grow our team to be more than just me and Josh. Um, now we're, there's 22 of us full-time at UDISC, which is crazy to think about. Um, and we had four interns last summer that were full-time. So we, had, we, were, we were pushing 30 for a little while um, last summer, which is just insane to think about such a humble beginning um, going to that many people <laughs> working full-time in disc golf. Uh, it is, and just for comparison's sake, when, when for instance, Johnny and I, uh, you know, originally got into the PDGA in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, like there were two, maybe three people at most, or one and a half, maybe even technically, that were employed by the PDGA. I mean, you had, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, guru, and then you had his wife, uh, Lori. Uh, and I think they technically were like one and a half employees is how it was determined. Um, and then a number of consultants, and that was it. You'd go to a place like Innova East, and there would there was probably mm-hmm. only 20-ish or 30-ish employees at, you know, all of Innova East at that time. And, and your smaller places like Gateway were literally just one person still or two people, and DGA just a handful of people. So the fact that here we are is, is my point that you guys are sitting at 22 full-time employees someone like the pro tour sitting at 60-ish employees it's it's just it's absolutely incredible um and i know we're kind of we're not quite to the to the new stuff but when you look at the usage for you guys roughly where's that dividing line of course use versus you know, or course score finding and use. course use and, and scorecard as opposed to the live watching live golf. Like, do you, is there a rough estimate on, do, on that, how those two break up into, into what people are using it for? Um, I don't know the exact number on how many people are following live stuff compared to those two, but I can tell you that finding courses and keeping score is, you know, a, a multiple more than following live disc golf um you know just we you know last year we had over 19 million rounds recorded um in the app which is pretty big number and this year we're trending higher than that so you know i think that generally finding courses is uh one of the most popular things people use the app for keeping score is another um the the thing that we always come back to is that the vast majority of disc golf is played recreationally Mm -hmm. um and i think that kind of with how much, you know, cachet watching pro disc golf has and just kind of the notoriety, it sometimes seems pro disc golf like is disc golf. And while it is kind of the pinnacle of disc golf, it, it really represents kind of a, a small segment of the whole. Um, and one thing that we're really proud of at UDISC is that we've been able to offer products that sort of apply to, you know, the whole breadth of the sport, whether it's the very top end of the pros or the very bottom end of the first, the person playing their first round or trying to find their first course. But in general, you know, it's, it's hard to put a number on it, but it's, you know, 10 or a hundred times more people are finding courses and keeping score than um, following live disc golf. Yeah. I, I mean, that's primarily what I use UDISC for is to find a course. If I go traveling for work and I'm in Florida near the Orlando area, the first thing I do, it's like, if I have a spare night, it's like, all right, where's the nearest course? Click, and it'll show mm-hmm. me the nearest. Yeah, but you're course. using UDISC every day. There's a Pro Tour event, too. Like, you're you're not a good example, necessarily. Well, <laughs> well when, it comes to the, when it comes to the app I'm using, that's how I'm using it. But, I mean, the UDISC tools that, that the Pro Tour uses are not customer-facing at all. I mean, that's all back-end stuff for graphics and things like that. So it's a, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. But you're still logged into UDISC Live every day. Every day there's a live event going on. You're using UDISC Live. I'm using UDISC even, Live. Even if you're not working not the event. App. I usually bring it up on the... Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> lots of people are using it, clearly. Uh, what, what is it like? Because I know even on our board tonight, we'll get a number of them. What is it like to see or read or, or accept and digest user suggestions like what is that process like today even compared to last time we talked to you about it what 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 needs to happen how does that go about i'd say that it's changed a lot over the years i mean back in the day when it was just me or me and josh and we were it um you know most of the stuff that we built was you know 
things that we wanted personally <laughs> or things that we heard, you know, like we wanted and other people were saying it too. And we're like, okay, okay, cool. Like that makes sense. Let's do it. There's somebody asking for it. Um, these days we take a much more analytical approach to those types of things and try to look at which parts of our apps or websites people are spending time in, um, what makes sense to make better. Um, you know, is there like, is there a good case for improving something or the hardest thing we're always trying to do is like, where do we, where's our time best spent? Um, and these days when we get user feedback, we actually are tracking that, you know, in a system and we have a way to say like, oh, look, you know, this is the most requested thing. And we also put out surveys, um, which has been very helpful for us to figure out where to focus our efforts. Um, and I don't know if you want me to segue into, uh, the topic at hand, but, you know, ground ratings were something that had been the you know most highly requested or among the most highly requested um, things to add to the app for you know ten years probably eight or ten years it's been something that people have been asking us for. So with regards to round ratings, naturally, I feel like if if you've gotten as far as using UDisc and uh, and playing around at all ratings, if you've discovered what they are or even think about ratings, it's because you're comparing them to the PDGA. Uh, I would think it'd be weird to just show up and be like, Hey, I shot a 12 under somebody tell me what a rating is and what that rated should be like, unless you're somehow making it relative to the PDGA's rating system. So assuming that's the case, why or why not would you borrow, use, collaborate, whatever with the PDGA rating? And, and then how did you guys arrive at your own? Yeah, um, great question. <laughs> great questions for sure. Uh, stepping back for a second, um, uh, you know, before PDGA ratings even existed, uh, people were probably asking similar questions that that we're asking, and maybe they aren't framing them in terms of a rating, but they're asking, "I play course A and I shot three under. I play course B and I shot seven under." which round was better? Maybe course B is a little bit easier and I shot better, but was that really enough to, to make up the difference? Um, and that's that's really where the concept of a rating starts, whether it's a PDGA rating or uh, or a UDISC round rating. So it's, it's kind of a natural thing to grasp for. How good is my round when I compare it to other rounds that I've played on other courses or maybe my friend's rounds that they have played on other courses? Uh, how can I compare these things? How can I track my progress over time in another way other than just looking at my score to par when I'm playing lots of different courses and different styles? Um, it's just another way to track improvement. So that's that's really where the idea came from. So uh, how, let, let's start with the basics. Like, How does sure. it differ from the the PDGA's ratings or anyone else that has a rating system? I, I, yeah. Uh, anyone else that has either a scorecard or uh, has any other way of keeping track of things, how does it differ from the others? And why is yeah, yours I better? Think, I think the main <laughs> the main difference between uh, the UDISC round rating system and the PDGA rating system is that uh, the PDGA rating system is, as you guys know, is uh, really more of a competition based metric. Um, you know, you're you're measuring your performance against how other rated players have performed in the same day on the same course. Um, the UDISC ground rating system is more of a performance-based metric in the sense that um, we're just measuring your score versus the course, and, and we can kind of treat the course as a constant, um, you know, re- mostly a constant over time. 
Um, so, you know, where it's you versus the course, PDJ system is more you versus the other players. That's what I mean when I say like a competition-based metric. So where, or was there a conscious reason to not at least kind of uh, mirror the PDGA ratings? I mean, when you're inside the scale, yeah. yeah, when you're inside the sport, obviously you kind of know a 1050 great player, 850, you know, MA3 or whatever that might be, you know, and then there's a scale in between there. Was there any talk about kind of maybe doing something similar? Because right now, my understanding is the ratings, the the, the UDIS ratings go from, I'm going to guess zero up to, you know, it's over 300. We know that. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if I've seen a top level that was actually ever announced. I know I, I've seen yeah. a couple people post above 300 and, I don't know if you can get to 400 or not, but like what was the thought process behind your rating versus maybe giving people kind of what like, Oh yeah, this is a 200 is just like a thousand rated or something. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So uh, it was considered, we considered, you know, various scales to put the system on. Um, uh, Ultimately the decision came down to uh, for one thing, there are far more people who are unfamiliar with the PDJ round rating system than who are familiar, as we, we sort of discussed already. The casual recreational scene is um, orders of magnitude larger than the, com- the competitive scene. Um, so we really wanted to cater to those to, those, to that segment, um, have a way for those people to track their rounds, even if they aren't participating in tournaments um, as much or at all. Um, and, you know, they're, they're two very different systems. The UDIS round rating system is very different from the PDGA round rating system. They are measuring two, you know, related but very different things. Um, so trying to map to the PDGA scale, we thought would uh, mostly just cause more confusion. It would, it would definitely not be a perfect map. Uh, we have, you know, in the various feedback we've got, gotten so far, we've seen lots of people try to come up with a map and there are various formulas floating around. Uh, those have been fun to look at. Um, and of course they're going to be correlated, but there's no good, there's not going to be a perfect map. So, uh, we wanted to to choose a scale that was, um, you know, very different that would be hard to confuse for, um, for the 1000 based, uh, scale. And my understanding, the way the PDGA scale works, a stroke is a stroke, no matter where it is. If you take an extra stroke mm-hmm. on hole two versus an extra stroke on hole eight, the PDGA doesn't care because they're looking at the total number of strokes at the end. That's not the way your guys is set up. It's a little it, it bit. Is, it is set up th- that way. So if, if you score the same, the same total score on the same layout, um, you will get the same rating. Say you and a buddy go play the same layout and you get birdies on different holes and bogeys on other holes, but you both end up with a 56. Okay. That round will be rated the same no matter what. I wasn't uh, sure if one, there was some sort point... of difference based on the, the, the whole um, right. how it how it rates an individual but okay yeah we can we can get in so there's some interesting whole whole base stuff that we can get into a bit later but one one interesting difference between um our system and the pdga system is uh as far as i know uh the pdga system does have a constant number of points per stroke no matter where you are on the scale so um if you go from seven under to eight under that's worth a fixed number of points uh if you go from I don't know, 11 over to 10 over, that one stroke is worth the same number of points. Um, our system is set up a little bit differently to recognize that uh, eking out that 
one extra stroke when you're already seven under par um, is, you know, a more monumental effort than, um, you know, saving an extra stroke when you're 10 over par going to nine over par. Mm. Um, so, so it's not a constant points per stroke curve. You get more points if you're already at the high end um, of the curve and you, and you eke out that extra birdie. Um, we, we made the, this, this decision. This is one of the things I'm most proud of about the system actually, mm -hmm. is we made this decision at a very kind of data-driven uh, way where we looked at um, players who tended to be, um, you know, have a, have a, like a raw score in a certain range, you know, tended to be like five under par at the typical course versus players who tended to be five over par at the typical course. And we looked at how much their scores varied. Um, as you can maybe guess, uh, players who are higher skilled and shoot lower scores also tend to do that more consistently. And players who are shooting higher scores tend to vary their score by, by a lot more. So, uh, so somebody might shoot between 5 and 15 over par, a 10-stroke range, whereas a highly skilled and consistent player might shoot only, I don't know, uh, between 4 and 6 under par. They're very consistent on a given course. And so uh, the round rating scale equalizes that variance, um, even though the higher skilled, more consistent player um, is shooting raw strokes in a smaller interval, their rating interval will be roughly the same as a person who is shooting above par. It may vary by, say, I'm not sure exactly what would be reasonable, but something like 30 or 40 points, no matter where you are on the scale. And your your user in UDISC when you become a UDISC Pro member. Now this is a this is a Pro member benefit, correct? Yes. All right. Yep. So this is if you want if you want to get that, you make sure you sign up for the UDISC Pro people. Um, as a user, do I get an overall rating where you combine all of my rounds, or is it individual rounds? How does and then what are you rating yeah. at? <laughs> questions yeah um not the answer is not yet yeah i think that uh you know an overall rating is something that we're certainly looking at and people have been asking us about um we we definitely want to give the system a little bit of time to uh you know be out in the world before we start doing something like that but it's certainly something that i think is very likely to happen um <laughs> what am i rated so uh, <laughs> with maybe the 20 or 30 rounds I've been able to play with the new system, I think I, I typically end up in like the 220 range when I'm playing average. I've I have my best is like 240 so far. So, and, and to, yeah, to follow that up, do you do you guys uh, before we move on to the 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 second part of that, when you're looking at a, a rating and then possibly having it attached and with you. It, do you guys see uh, a time frame where it, they fall off similar or weighting anything more heavily uh, because it's more recent? You know, I think of some of the ways that the PDGA is currently operates with, you know, kind of this 12 month rotating scale and then kind of double weighting, you know, I don't know what your last 25% or whatever it is. Um, do you guys, ha have you seen pros and cons to any of those other philosophies uh, as you may roll them out? Yeah, of course. There's there's a lot of discussion to be had about uh, the exact parameters and how many rounds to drop and uh, the time period to roll things up from. Um, but uh, you know, some of the factors that were uh, that we'll be weighing here is, um, you know, if 
our, our system doesn't account for weather, uh, for example, or doesn't make any adjustments for inclement weather. Weather. So if if we roll this up to an eventual player rating, we'll we'll for sure be dropping some rounds because we want to kind of measure players at their best. Um, but you know, we also want to give an accurate snapshot of of um, you know what a player's potential is going to be. So uh, these are all discussions to be had and and to look at the data and and you know kind of explore um how this would behave but um all things that we'll we'll be considering yeah because i i imagine that you're already fielding uh questions and requests and things because if if matt and i go out to a course and i know that uh, matt's like ah, I, I usually shoot about 220 here and i look at it and i go oh, i usually shoot about a 195 here someone's gonna want to say do i get like twenty points? Do is that? Too, do I get two strokes on you to make things more fair? I'm assuming all that stuff is being talked about behind the scenes, um, yeah. and I guess that's one of the nice things now is we can kind of, if you look at an average for a particular course or a particular or just in general, maybe this is a little bit better of a handicap system because it is more universal than the PDGA. Because in the in general for PDGA, we've always just kind of considered, uh depending on the course SSA, uh, about a stroke every, between seven to 10 points is mm-hmm. always what we, all, you and I always kind of figured based on our ratings, but that would be different with you guys now. Yep. Yeah. Great question. So, so you bring up a great point about uh, the comparison to like a golf handicapping system, which uh, kind of tries to solve two problems with the same uh, tool. Uh, and the two problems they're trying to solve is, uh, get everyone on an equal playing field. So tell people how many strokes to spot each other in a competition, um, as well as just have a number to, you know, compare their scores and their overall progress by. Um, we've kind of tried to decouple those two problems and round ratings we see as the solution to the latter problem, a way to uh, track your progress even across different courses um, throughout time, different courses, different layouts, uh, all, of, all of those things. Uh, the Nice. The interesting thing is that the system behind round ratings, uh, we think, can also be used to solve the first problem um, in that, you know, it can be used to tell two people who go out to play around, one's more skilled than the other, how many strokes uh, should that person spot each other or, or even in a larger competition? Um, what should we set everybody's starting score so that they all have an equal probability of winning? Uh, we don't think that it would be using uh, the numerical round ratings that we have right now, but the math and the models behind the system uh, can be used to solve those problems as well. Future, future stuff. Yeah, and and just to uh, you know, I guess oversimplify it. Uh, if Johnny and I went out and played at a course, and there were long and short tees, mm-hmm. it's it's a hundred percent conceivable, right? That if I played the long tees and shot a five under and Johnny played the short tees and shot a 10 under, we'll just make up some numbers. We could essentially both walk away with a similar, if not maybe even exactly the same rating for instance, mm-hmm. depending on how the course lays out. Right. So, uh, how much do all of the additional tees and pins and and the just the endless possibilities. How much does that f with this entire system? <laughs> Knowing that him and I played a course here in Milwaukee the other day, 
there's there's now 27 holes. We'll just say there's 18. The original 18 holes, 13 of them have long pads. The other five don't. And then there's anywhere from one to six different pins that could be used on any given day. There's you know this infinite number of configurations. How in the world? I mean, I we're mean, still doing some yeah. like rough guessing at a certain point, aren't you guys? <laughs> Well, I'd be happy to answer that one. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure Duca can add more. But as many of you may know, a few years ago, we released something called Smart Layouts, Mm -hmm. um, which was the purpose of that was specifically to solve this problem, which is making sure that we are accurately recording which tee to target combination you're playing on each hole. Um, If you've heard of the concept of being a course ambassador, um, those are people that sign up to sort of be the steward of a certain course in the course directory. And what they're able to do is go into some of our internal, uh, we call it map manager. So it's a tool that allows you to actually mark where every T and every target is on the course and then build a layout from all that information. Um, and so at this point, uh, over 90% of the 1000 most played courses in the world have smart layouts and about 85% of the top 2,000 most played courses in the world have smart layouts, um, which is to say that, you know, we can, with reasonable confidence, know that people are, you know, playing the right tee to target combination on most of these courses. Um, it does require, you know, the ambassadors to keep things up to date, which generally is is good. But one thing that, you know, while I have a platform to say it, like if you're ever playing a course and you see that the map in UDISC, it doesn't reflect which pin is actually installed at the moment, um, tap the button on the top right of the scorecard. It's a little orange basket with a circle around it. And you can change the target that you're playing mm. to in your scorecard. So that that's something that becomes a little bit more important now with ratings. Um, to make sure that you're going to get an accurate rating. So just just be aware of that. If you're ever playing and the map doesn't look right, you can fix it on the spot. Um, and if you if you live near a course that doesn't have smart, please consider applying to be an ambassador. It should only take you 30 minutes or so the first time to get everything set up. And then anytime pins change, it's just a couple taps on your phone to say like, oh no, hole one's in the B position, hole two's in the C position. You can just very easily do it. Um, but to get back to your original question, how much does it F with the system? <laughs> um, you know, it, I think that it kind of is the fundamental component of the whole system is just making sure we know which tees and targets people are actually playing. And this is sort of a unique problem to disc golf, um, mm-hmm. for anybody who's played traditional golf, you know, you're not doing stuff like that. Like you walk up and you play the gold tee to whatever pin is installed. They don't have multiple pins. They might move the cup, you know, a few feet each day to keep the grass from getting worn or something like that. Um, but a disc golf kind of has this unique problem where a course could have, you know, literally millions of permutations that could be played on any given day. Um, and even worse when the course has like three baskets installed on every hole, like always. Um, but that, that's what smart layouts are for is to solve that problem and also giving um, people that are keeping score the ability to update that on the fly as they're playing. Um, and then Duca, feel free to add more to that. Yeah. No, no, that's 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 all exactly right. Yeah, I was just going to mention the technical challenge um, and the inevitable solution that um, a system like this must be based on holes. Um, it can't be based purely on a course or on or on a small number of layouts on a course, just because of the sheer number of possibilities. So, um, you know, a little little technical note is that's that's kind of behind the scenes how the system is working. Um, it's, it's a whole based model that is rolled up to the layout level every time you play around. 
So I guess along those lines, and I think about existing layouts and the, you know, like you said, the infinite, you know, possibilities. Let's just say a brand new course goes in down the road from me. I'm the I'm the first to ever log it and play it on UDisk. How long does it take for UDisk to learn things to then make it accurate? Obviously, the more people that play, the it's always going to probably be improving. But uh, yeah, is, is are you helping set a course? standard of a sort when you're one of the early players how, like how does that work yeah so the the data is updated you know constantly um every every round that you play is is sort of a drop uh is sort of a grain of sand in in the overall picture uh of a course but uh yeah every every round you play is contributing to um you know the overall difficulty so to speak uh of a course um, we have some internal rules of thumb about, um, you know, how many plays and how many different players are required, uh, before mm-hmm. we are confident enough to, uh, assign ratings to certain layouts, to brand new layouts, say. Um, so we're not going to show a rating for the very first player who ever, mm-hmm. uh, plays the course. We can calculate a guess still, uh, based on the whole distances, but, but it's really, it's really just an unconfident guess until we have um, a certain amount of data that's going into the model. Yeah. So, and, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm out there. I play the course first. It's an 18 hole course. I shoot nine under clearly. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, what? I wonder what that's rated. But you, if I'm literally the first person logging that into UDisk, it may not show it until 25 or a hundred rounds have showed up. And then that's when, uh, we'll see some form of a, of a rating get assigned. Is that, is that a fair yeah. estimation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just one minor clarification. If if that exact situation happened, a rating wouldn't show up on that old scorecard that you created, but it would show up the next time you played there. Okay. We're not going to like yep. retroactively add a rating for a round that happened before we were confident. No, then what you do is you just go and re-enter that thing, the exact same thing you did after you get that, <laughs> ah, delete the yeah. old one. Oh, oh, so smart, and, and so you can get so that the rating. tricks that people have figured out. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some I mean, people have figured out the trick. Yeah, if you if you go edit an old scorecard, um, it may show a rating. Oh, <laughs> how, so how 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 do you? I mean, we we saw it. I've, I think I've seen comments on maybe, maybe it was Reddit or whatever, but like cheaters, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. I played with Terry this weekend. He somehow he scored a one on every hole. I don't know how he did it, but how do you deal with something like that for accuracy? Because we've seen the leaderboards, and it's really hard to to, to judge. And maybe this is something that can help with the leaderboards. When some guy puts in, he shot an eighteen. Like we all know, he didn't ace every hole. Uh, how do you guys deal with that? Do you take out the the highs and the lows? Is it a some sort of? I mean, you're the data scientist. I'm I'm going to just make an ass of myself if I continue. Yeah, to don't throw, even guess throw any words other out phrases. <laughs> throw out regression model. Mean, I think that's a word. Median mode. Yeah, regression. <laughs> yeah. deviation. There, there you go. Great, great We're word association. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I know all the lingo. Yeah. No. Great questions. Uh, yeah. A couple points. Um, for for one thing, if you see some you know, clearly bogus scores on the leaderboards. We, we do make efforts to, you know, make leaderboards a- accurate and reflect uh, the nature of things. So if you see some bogus scores, do feel for, free to reach out and we want to be removing those if they're, if they're clearly fakes. Um, other points are that the scores that you do see on the leaderboard are, are a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction 
of all of all of the scores on 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 a typical course and and just globally in general. So all of those fake scores are are featured prominently in certain situations, uh, but make up a, a tiny amount of the data. Um, we also have you know various ways to filter out um, a lot of those things, and the model itself is also uh, fairly robust to um, anomalous uh, scores input like that as well. So. So with the rating, is this something you're going to be able to kind of tie into, <laughs> tie into the cheaters? Where you know, uh, I I go in and I'm like, yeah, no, I, I shot a 42 out on on Dretzka Longs today, and you're looking at my regular ratings and you're going, really? Like, did you? Meh. <laughs> like, is that something you're going to be able to look at me say like, well, this person shot clearly way better than what their normal ratings are. We're going to filter that out, or we're going to send a little pop-up on their phone, say liar, liar, pants on fire? Or <laughs> is there a way you can uh, you can now use the rating system to help with other aspects of UDISC? Yeah, interesting question. I think I think what we want to say here is, is that, um, you know, we want people to enjoy disc golf how they want to enjoy it. Uh, there's There are many ways to play around of disc golf, and not all of those ways uh, involve following every rule in the rule book letter by letter. Um, you know, if you don't want to give yourself a foot fault on a solo round because you know you stepped on your disc <laughs> or or it just is going to increase the fun factor to not take that shank shot into the woods and throw another one. Um, these are all, I think, valid ways to enjoy the game of disc golf. Um, and, you know, one person might call it cheating. Uh, we, we call it, you know, this is what <laughs> casual rounds look like sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I suppose yeah, because ahead, Matt, some, some, I was gonna say some that. people probably use yeah. disc for all sorts of different things. If you want to, if you're gonna play a regular round with your buddies and and you guys each get four mulligans, and so that's you mm-hmm. know when I'm playing with my buddies, I get four mulligans. But when I play by myself, I'm a serious golfer and I I take my scores. So I guess those four mulligan rounds would just show up in there anyway, and it's hard to maybe filter those out or include or disclude them. Yeah, that's interesting. We yeah we we actually yeah. do have ways to exclude certain rounds from from your profile stats already. Um, if 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 slash when we end up rolling round ratings up to a player rating, uh, we'll use a, either that same concept or a similar concept. So you can go ahead and um, you know if you knew you took a mulligan on every hole and wanted to exclude that from your stats and from your your eventual player rating, you can go and turn that off. Um, we also would, you know, automatically exclude doubles rounds, for example. This one of the interesting things about UDISC round ratings is doubles rounds can be rated. Um, it's just another score at a course, and they can they can get a rating. Um, one of the advantages of of having sort of a course based mm-hmm. uh, performance based model. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to add too is, you know, with our system, it. it if you see somebody post a rating on the internet and you don't know them and you don't know like how they typically play a casual round, it may not be useful to compare yourself to them. Um, but if you have a certain group of friends that you play with and you know that you guys all follow, you know, a certain set of rules when you play or you don't play the paths as OB on a certain course because your friends just don't like doing that, um, then it is valid to compare yourselves to each other because you know that you play sort of the same way. Um, and I think that, that might seem weird to people that are used to like the PDJ rating system, which is only for like, you know, sanctioned rounds using the PDJ rulebook, um, which is great. It serves its purpose. But in this case, it's just, it's worth saying that like, if you see Brody post a round at, at 300 and whatever he posted at Sunset Park, 
Um, like I'm assuming he probably followed PDG rules, but like if somebody else posts something like that, you may not know. They might have taken two shots on each hole, and that's totally fine. That might be just how they want to play. Um, I think when we get a little bit further, it's very likely that we'll have some different kind of competitive rating that we take into account rounds that you know in a certain setting, whether it be a league or an event or something like that. Um, but for the time being, this this is really just a tool for people to measure their own individual progress as they continue to get better at the sport. Um, so we, we really hope people use this to compare to themselves and to people that they are familiar with. And if you're all playing in the same event, like then you know you can all compare to each other, assuming you're using the same roles. Um, and to yourself, but it's, it's the same. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the same thing. You know, over the years, people have sometimes complained about scores on leaderboards and. Obviously, an 18 on an 18-hole course is not a real score, um, but there might be some guy who got a 42 and nobody knows who he is, and you know it might just be the case that that person throws two shots on every hole, and that's just how they always play, and they still want to keep score, and they want a record of that. It's not that they're trying to like sandbag the leaderboard. <laughs> it's just that that's how they play casual rounds, and maybe they've never played a tournament before. Um, and that's that's great. You know, we want to encourage people to just generally play disc golf and enjoy the sport that we love and get outside and, you know, throw these round plastic circles at metal baskets. <laughs> Could, That's really all we want. I, I was, I'm thinking of all this possible scenarios and features and future things. Cause one of the, I would say downsides of the PDGA rating system that we've heard for years are events like USDGC where they have different rules for different holes. Mm -hmm. You know, they had stroke and distance on a couple holes and the, the PDGA ratings kind of get a little fluky when you do something like that, as opposed to, I think, a U-Disc one where if everyone's playing by the same rules, the, the, the round rating would be, I don't want to say more accurate because that's a, that's a bad way to put it, but it would be um, more, uh, what's a good way to put that? Maybe more comparable to, to, other, to other things. So could, do you see a future where you're having like U-Disc tournaments where maybe strokes aren't even counted and it's all round rating, would it would it make a difference? Because yeah, at, uh, at that point you could literally do different different layouts and different players. Like Terry's scenario, the ten down versus the five down. If you could say, all right, all AMs are going to shoot this, all pros are going to shoot this, but we're playing in one big pool, you don't have to worry about so to speak strokes. You could literally compare U disc ratings. An interesting point. Yeah, I I never envisioned uh, a competition that's based purely on uh, ratings rather than pure straight strokes. But it brings up some interesting ideas. Maybe you have a friend who lives across the country and you want to have like a remote round together and determine a winner <laughs> after you play two completely different courses. I suppose you could use ratings to do that. You know, if you're you agree to follow the same the same rule sets. Uh, regarding mulligans and you know foot faults and OBs and all these things, um, yeah, I, I I don't know if it's I, this harkens back. I think the the PDGA had a tournament in Australia or something. Am I well? It, the, you know, yeah, you where it was. Uh, yeah, you're essentially thinking of the women's global, which is a hundred percent predicated on this that all women literally around the world at every different course are playing and then they get their two rated rounds and then the average of those two rated rounds are then compared against uh, everyone else within their division throughout the entire, you know, around the entire world. 
And so, yeah, it is interesting to think about, does this open up that functionality and capability and is it more robust and accurate versus what's being used uh, from, you know, a women's global perspective? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I, I foresee a Terry Miller tournament with UDIS ground ratings, and then people can just—it <laughs> it literally wouldn't matter what what holes you shot, would it? Like, if if some in theory, if if I played all shorts and you played all longs, and my my sixteen down is rated whatever, and your two over is rated whatever, I'd be really curious to see how that would work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give it a try. See what happens. Yeah, that's right. Terry, run a turn. <laughs> I was just, I was thinking, and, and maybe this is a, a, a tangent, tangential question for you guys, but th- along those lines is ratings-based events haven't been, we'll say, a, a massive uh, hit within the PDG, in my opinion. Um, you know, rather than classifying you by age or gender or you know, pro versus am, it's just strictly based on ratings and they're available. Anyone can run those at any time. You just rarely see it happen. And then I just, I guess along those lines, you wonder, is this make that more appealing uh, with the ratings in the way in which yours are calculated and in the way yours are played as opposed to the way those are done? I I think that's an interesting question. You guys could be revolutionizing divisions. I mean, if you think about it. Sure. Ratings based yeah, I, to, to me, the, the, the most interesting thing that we can do, and this kind of goes back to uh, the golf ham- handicapping system, the most in- interesting thing we can do is equalize the playing field. And um, if we were to do something like this, we would probably not use the same numerical scale that round ratings are on, but we would, we would probably reuse the math behind it um, to say, you know, this is, this is the score adjustment that we need to make at the start of the round for every person in the field in order to give everybody an equal chance of winning the whole thing. Uh, no matter where mm-hmm. their starting skill, uh, starting skill comes up, you could have a uh, Paul Macbeth in the tournament and you could have me in the tournament and you could have, I don't know, my, my mom who's only played a handful of rounds uh, in the tournament and, and, you know, start them off on, on equal footing. I'm just thinking like how, how cool it could be. I should say this for my new app, J disc. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, but to be able to walk up to a tournament or walk up to a course with Terry Miller and say, um, maybe that we haven't played and say, Hey, we want to, we want to be competitive and mm-hmm. have, have you just say, okay, well, Terry should shoot the longs because this course has long pads. Terry should shoot the longs on these five holes where John shoots the shorts. Um, and that would be a much more even round for you to competitively being able to like have you just create, so to speak, custom maps based on where the, Obviously, that's that relies a lot on your uh, ambassadors who, um, mm-hmm. who keep the course up to date. But to know, being able to walk up and say, "Hey, these two rounds, based on where you guys are and your UDIS grading, um, this is the course you should shoot, and this is the course you should shoot." That'd be really interesting. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. I don't know if we've exactly discussed doing it that way, but I think no. the uh, just concept of just like equalizing. Yeah, no, <laughs> I like it. it Maybe slightly more complicated than the route we've been Dude, thinking. Dude, you've got a but, data uh, analyst I, next to you. That's <laughs> interesting. Give them some Python and a formula, and it'll pop out, right? That's how that works. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the features that we've introduced recently, um, we kind of called it layout classification. You may have seen these little tags on courses and layouts, uh, just classifying the 
the overall difficulty, uh, what we think your experience is going to be like. Um, that sort of solves similar problems in the sense that we want people to be able to choose a course and maybe even at a certain course, choose a layout that's going to fit their skill set um, at that time. So, you know, a Maple Hill is a great example for all these things. Uh, they have tons of different layouts and different ways to play the course. If you, you know, really are a glutton for punishment, you're going to choose golds or diamonds. Um, if you want to, you know, have a more fun round. <laughs> Or, or maybe your skills just aren't aren't there yet. You might choose reds or blues, um, and you know we have little tags in the app that that kind of quantify what your uh, experience is going to be like in terms of um, you know both length of the layout, how far are you going to have to throw the disc, um, as well as the technicality level, how many trees are you going to hit, how much water is there, <laughs> um, elevation changes, and things mm -hmm. like that. And uh, this this system is you know. Uh, based on the same, again, the same model behind uh, round ratings, uh, sort of a recommendation for your skill set. Where are you going to have the best time? You, you guys just mentioned, for instance, like Brody and posting uh, a 300 plus score. I think uh, rating. I think one of the initial questions, especially because the scale is unique uh, in terms of one to 300 plus. Is there such a thing as a perfect score? Is there such a thing as a maximum that somebody can get to? And then maybe the follow-up to that is, if I shoot an 18-hole pitch in putt and I shoot a, we'll call it a perfect 36, you know, and birdie every hole, clearly that's going to have a different rating than if I shoot that at a much more challenging course, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah first yeah. talk about like the scale and is there a perfect round or a perfect number? Yeah, great question. Uh, there's there's no theoretical upper limit to to the scale. Uh, we kind of chose 300 because there's a very very tiny percentage of rounds uh, that we've observed in, uh, observed in the past that have exceeded 300. Um, we think it's going to be very rare. Um, um, but to your example, for like a nine hole pitch and putt versus a, a much harder course. Uh, the way that the system is based on is we essentially uh, make a prediction on the on the specific layout that you're playing, um, how the what we call the standard average player would shoot on that on that layout. So we might predict on this nine hole pitch and putt that the standard average player is going to shoot even. I don't know, or maybe a few under par, um, or a champion more championship level course 18 hole course that's really difficult and really long we might predict that the standard player is going to shoot 10 over par uh something like that your round rating is generated based on a comparison to that standard average player uh, not only uh, not just the raw number of strokes but um how many standard deviations from the standard average player you are so at the nine hole pitch and putt uh, we found that um, you know, the, uh, very easy courses and, and shorter courses, fewer holes, uh, tend to cap out earlier than more challenging courses. Um, nine hole, if you score a perfect round at a very easy nine hole course, the best you could possibly do might be somewhere in the 200s. But if you score even, I don't know, 10 or 11 under at a Maple Hill Gold, uh, you might already breach that 300. Uh, benchmark, um, which we think kind of accurately represents, um, you know, your the impressiveness of your round, 
right? It may not be so impressive to birdie every hole at a very, very easy course, but it's more impressive to birdie half the holes at a really difficult course. Um, so really, you know, if, if you're really trying to reach for the most impressive rounds and get the highest rating you can, then you have to choose the harder courses. And that's, that's just the way it is. You might not be able to exhibit the, the most impressiveness at the easy courses. Have you, and this is obvious, this might be a very difficult question. Is there a best round that you've seen in the, in the UDISC? Like, like someone's like, well, you're like, holy crap, someone got like a 324. And have you, have you seen anything like that? What is, and maybe for privacy yeah. sake, you can't say, but maybe the course even like what's, what's, have you, have you noticed anything out of the ordinary or crazy? Let's let's throw that to the chat. If if anybody's got some yeah. amazing rated rounds in the chat, yeah. we'd love to we'd love to hear about them. You know, we we still assign a rating to, uh, you know, we have assigned ratings to all all of these fake scores that people put in and and you know post on the internet. So those if if somebody puts in an ace on every hole at Maple Hill Golds, then it'll get a rating. You know, the number will pop up, but you know it's it's meaningless. So. Um, the, realistically, personally, on the rounds that I've seen, the best rated rounds have been doubles rounds and pro rounds. I think I saw like mm-hmm. a three seventeen on a doubles team that I played with, which was which was one of the highest I've personally. Yeah, we've seen, seen a few above three hundred for doubles for sure. I, I in fact, I had a friend reach out last weekend who shot a two ninety six, and they shot seventeen down on a <laughs> one of the airborne courses. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't quite 300. So it was the, it was the red Fox course. If you're familiar mm. there, like mm-hmm. one of the easier courses, but yeah, that, that is a question we've gotten from a few people. Like, you know, I shot minus 18 in a doubles round. Mm. Why isn't it 300? <laughs> um, and it's just purely, this course wasn't that difficult. You know, getting into minus 18 <laughs> on any course is great. You know, that's awesome. Good job. But it's not nearly as hard as shooting like 10 or 11 down at Maple Hill Golds. So the 2023 disc golf pro tour season have you run round ratings on all of those rounds no no we oh, haven't. i thought for sure Sorry. you'd go back well I, I was just trying to think because can you do that real quick we'll yeah, wait just real quick just really <laughs> well i was just thinking like i'd be curious to know who shot the best round this year because with different courses and different events like you know someone's 13 at like you said maple hill is different than someone's 11 at jonesboro and i was yeah. I, i'd be curious to know if we looked back and like the U the UDISC awards. Who did shoot the according to UDISC, who shot the best round this year? You know, an MPO and an FPO, um, going back to the scorecards and like you know, what round in you know, round three at Jonesboro, so and so shot a twelve. Woo, that's the best round of the year, and we're gonna give him a little, you know, a golden UDISC hat or something. Sure. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. A couple points there is um you know, we've we've really tried to calibrate and tailor the system to um, most people and not the best people, the be- not the best people, but the best disc golf players. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just not calibrated for the pros. We, we haven't run it mm. on the 2023 pro tour season might be interesting to take a look. Um, but we have other ways to measure uh, pros performances um, that you can, you can check out on UDIS live uh, stats. We've got, um, world rankings up there. We've got the pro tour standings. Uh, there's, there are various ways that we have to measure the pros. Um, one interesting thing that's, you know, more related to round ratings is, uh, I think in a blog post last year, 
uh, we did publish something um, trying to quantify the best rounds of the season. Um, and it was generating use, generated using the same kind of core model, a different instance of the same model calibrated for the pros. Um, so you could you could check out that blog post. I mm. don't know if I can I think it was Joel Freeman's round. Like end of season superlatives. Oh, the, the um, Iron Hill round last year from Joel Freeman? Mm. I, um, it was up there. It was, was an Iron Hill, but it was, yeah. It was the tournament that he won, the Silver oh, Series. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, definitely on the, on the Butler County. Mm. Butler County, yeah. Are we going to yeah. see um, UDIS ground ratings next year on the Pro Tour? Like, are we going to see, when I go to UDISC Live and we're going to see, hey, here's, you know, here's Jonesboro, like I said, and I can follow live and maybe, and can the system do ratings on the fly? If I'm only nine holes in, can it give me a rating for nine holes and keep that rating running? Because that's, that's something I don't believe the PDGA can do right now because of the way it, the way it takes in all the factors of all the players. We've seen after rounds, you know, everyone's round rating is unofficial because they can shift up to a couple points. Mm-hmm. Can the will the UDIS ground be able to kind of give me an on the fly rating after like after three holes? I'm three down. I'm I'm sitting at two twenty two, or on pace for. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Again, I I don't think our system is really calibrated to the pros, so I think it's <laughs> unlikely round ratings in their current form would make it onto UDIS Live. Uh, but uh, they may make it onto our events platform which is you know for really the everyday player and and we could do something like that we could um provide an estimated rating or your rating so far through this many holes um <clears throat> and kind of you know update that update that on the fly live uh, so check out our events platform may may make it onto there well and and i guess what i'm thinking about specifically is if again, even selfishly, this weekend, in a couple of days, I'll go to Vegas. We're going to have a B tier. It's got, uh, you know, a number of a thousand rated players, you know, Aaron Gossage and, and Parker Welk and Cameron Messerschmidt and, and, and Jacob Cordes. subtle plug, by the way. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> make sure you tune in for the coverage whenever I edit it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, just seeing if any of those guys then turn around and potentially use UDISC as their, as their backup scorecard, and I think that will also give us a little tease. And I know, as you guys have just stated, this isn't necessarily geared or structured specifically toward our our highest, uh, you know, most competitive, highest rated players. But it will be somewhat. I think it would could be a snapshot as to what it looks like for when and some of those guys are playing this weekend. Um, you know, just I feel like this is probably might be one of the stronger fields that we've seen that may mm-hmm. uh, potentially then use the. This is when they log in. Let's say you're playing this weekend. Everyone's doing their scoring on PDGA Live because that's required or the primary use. And then Parker Welk says, "Hey, you know, I'm going to keep score for us here." Uh, at the end of that round, all this should show up for them as well. Just the same, right? Just like any other yep, scorekeeping yep. opportunity. As long as the course meets the requirements of having smart layouts um, with enough play data mm. on them then yes and that and that might be difficult because for the simple fact that this particular event this weekend i think their sunset has a million different layouts based on mm-hmm. who's in town and and if it's casual versus a tournament and i think this layout is almost particular and maybe even exclusive 
to this year's tournament. So that it well, may negate it for that reason if they've could, changed but, enough you know, holes. I would hope that they would have the layout set up at least a few days in advance for people to practice and sure. hopefully, you know, somebody's updating it in Udisc. Um so there's at least a decent chance that they will get some ratings. Hmm. I've got so many questions once I, I get there. And <laughs> once you get there. So I go out with a group of my buddies and I'm the one keeping score. I have UDisc Pro. I have the same three or four guys. I click them because that's what we do. Does it give round ratings to everybody? Or even if they're not UDisc Pro members? And then I can just say, oh, dude, you shot a... No, you collect $5 from each of them and say, hey, I'll tell you what it is because that offsets your pro membership. Now, you're not wrong, Terry. Um, Does it do that? And if I I can... Because I believe I can send them scorecards and things like that. I... To be honest, I'm not usually the one keeping score. My, my buddy Steve usually does because he has his U-Disc all set up that way. And then he just sends us cards. But um, how, how exactly does that work for round ranking? If I'm not a pro member, um, when it sends me, when he sends me my card, it's probably not going to keep that round rating. Only if I'm a pro member. But it will on his. Yes. Yep. So on your friend's phone who has pro, they'll be able to see all of it. If you don't have pro, when you, see, when you look at the scorecard, you won't see it. But it is... You know, it is calculated and stored. Okay. Um, so upgrade to Pro and you can see it. Or, you know, there's a free two-week trial. Uh, you can always try it that way and then see all your rounds. One one cool thing, too, that we recently did is we made a free version of the app. Um, there used to be a 10 scorecard restriction on there where you could only keep 10 scorecards. Um, and then you couldn't keep score anymore. And now we've gotten rid of that. So you can actually keep, you can keep score for unlimited rounds. Um, you can only view your last 10, but you can continue to keep making new scorecards forever um, on a free account. But and if you sign, the then if you then is, sign up yeah. for Pro, it lets you view your prior rounds that were hidden before. Yeah, yep. exactly. And if the rounds had ratings and they met you know, the requirements to have ratings, those would show up as well. Yeah, and, the, and rounds, only rounds, what, after October 15th or something along those lines are getting rated? Is that correct? Yeah, I believe that was the release date of this feature. There is a caveat there. If if you were a beta tester or you're friends with somebody who was a beta tester, they've been getting ratings for a bit longer. Sure. Um, so there are some people who have, you know, a few months worth of ratings at this point. Okay. Uh, that leads me to break down what... Y- Essentially, what's offered in UDisc free version, and then what are you getting? What are people getting when they're uh, paying for, and how much is it uh, when they're paying for UDisc Pro? Can you guys break those down and give us everyone a refresher? Sure. I mean, the best place to look is probably within the app. Um, if you go to the More tab and go to UDisc Pro account, there's a nice little matrix that sort of lays out um, all the various things that are available. Um, but essentially, Pro allows you to uh, view your whole scoring history um, all in one place. Uh, everything gets synced to your account so you can you know, get a new phone and all of your scorecards will just come back as soon as you log into your account. Um, you can easily share with friends um, and lots of other fun things <laughs> uh, that that app allows you to one, do. Like, yeah. One of the favorite features uh, that I think has it been around for a year or course traffic uh, is a, is a mm. pro only feature. So you can go either on the web or in the app, uh, visit a course page and um, you can see how busy it tends to be at the particular day of the week and time that you're planning on going mm-hmm. and, and how busy it actually is um, at that moment. 
uh, so you can yeah. plan your disc golf adventures uh, a little better. Yeah, and pros also, uh, to be on the leaderboards, you need a pro account. And then to keep score on your smartwatch, um, you also need a pro account. But the great thing is that the free tier of Udisc is really full-featured. We let you try everything. There's a two-week trial of pro if you want to get the taste of what it's like to score on your watch or to see you know your full scoring history um, all in one place. And um, you know the real-time course traffic stuff that we've had for about a year is is really really fun. Um, if you're somebody that likes to, if you live in a place with a lot of courses, um, it's super useful to be like you can kind of feel out the trends for certain courses. Like there's that like I know at least for me where I live, like there's a few courses that are just super popular around lunchtime during the week, and like okay. you know sometimes I love to get out and play a quick round, you know, over my lunch break. Um, but I know which courses to avoid because those ones are always really busy. But these other two on the other side of town, like nobody goes there for some reason at lunch. Um, so that's definitely something that is is really fun to use. And, you know, when we first put that out, people, a lot of people had questions like, is this really accurate? Is it really useful? And um, it turns out that it really is because <laughs> there's quite a few people that use UDISC. And it's also pretty easy to extrapolate from like, normally we expect there to be, you know, X number of people keeping score at this course. But if there are more than that, at a certain time, we know that the course is a lot busier than um, we expected it to be. So it ends up being a very accurate tool to use. The only way that could go wrong is if there's like, let's say, um, at that course, there might not be as many people keeping score on UDIS that day because they're all using PJ Live or or some other sort of like, you know, like event that is happening that isn't being scored on UDIS. But in general, you're going to find that to be a very useful thing. Uh, but also just want to make sure to highlight that the free version lets you do everything. Um, and you can also do the two week trial to try, you know, everything else um, out before you <laughs> decide to part with any money. And that was the follow up is uh, I know you guys had a price increase at one point. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I guess any price increase. There's no one that's probably called you up and like, heck, yeah, thank you so much for charging more. But uh, it 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 resonates differently with everyone and people that appreciate not only the, the back end, but then supporting a company that's doing so much mm -hmm. uh, for for all of our enjoyment in multitude of ways. But uh, w what is a pro subscription look like? And then uh, is that um, a full one? Is that exactly a year from date of purchase? How just kind of break down the basics for somebody that might be on the fence that is kind of wondering some of those generic questions. Yep. Uh, Udis pro subscription is $30 a year, $29.99 technically. Uh, and it is, yeah, one year subscription. So you're going to subscribe either through the Apple app store, or the Google play store or on udis.com. Um, and that will just, it'll be, you know, a year from when you buy it, or if you have, you know, some time left on your account, then it would obviously not take that away from you. Um, the way it works now though, is you can't actually renew until, you know, your time is your previous subscription is done. So yeah, it's a year at a time. Um, we are really happy with, you know, just the number of people that have given us feedback. You know, like you said, people don't always reach out and be like, hey, it's great that you increased the price. <laughs> but we do actually get people more than you'd expect um, saying things like that because they understand that a company like ours, you know, needs to be sustainable. And we have been growing a lot. You know, we're up to 22 people full time. Um, you know, even just server costs alone are well into the six figures per year at this point um, for the amount of infrastructure that we have and the crazy, you know, even the data science stuff that we're doing with round ratings, like that costs real money um, to run, you know, these huge calculations and chug through millions and millions of rounds 
Um, so the, the things that we're doing, you know, we put this money to good use and most, you know, the vast majority of it goes back into employees um, and giving people jobs in disc golf, which is, you know, still something that we're proudest of. Um, all these new features require a lot of effort and planning and, you know, people putting their full-time attention towards it for months and months and months. Um, and I don't know if we directly said it earlier, but even round ratings, like Duke has been working on this for close to, or maybe slightly over three years now. Um, so this wasn't just, you know, something that we snapped our fingers and it came into existence or it was some simple formula. Um, this has had a lot of thought put into it. And while I have you know, this moment, I do really want to like give a big shout out to Duca for all the work he's done on this. Like he is, he is underselling himself on how talented he truly is. Um, and the sport, like truly the sport as a whole is really lucky to have somebody like him who is willing to dedicate his, his, uh, you know, career path towards disc golf. It's just a super exciting time. And there's also another member of the data science team, Anthony, who has certainly pitched in and helped out with, um, you know, some of this stuff, but Duke is kind of the, the main person with this particular project. Um, so yeah, just, you know, the, the only reason we're able to get people this smart working in disc golf is to have money to pay them and to give them a fulfilling and, uh, you know, interesting problem to solve. I think that that's something that people, when we talk with people outside of the sport, it's always very interesting because it's like, oh, you know, disc golf, like, is there <laughs> really like anything that hard or complicated about it? Um <laughs> And it turns out that there really is, and there are tons of problems that are yet to be solved. And I think that this is kind of the tip of the iceberg and, you know, something that, like I said, we put over three years into solving this problem. And I don't think it's, you know, totally solved yet. There's still a lot more to be built upon with what we've done right now. This is really just the first step here, but you guys have already, you know, touched on some of the future projects that we're already talking about and working on um, just through this conversation. And I think that that's really exciting that, People are sort of seeing, um, you know, when we put smart layouts out two or three years ago, we didn't really say exactly what they were for, but the whole point of doing that was so that we could have a rating system. Um, we needed more reliable course data and we needed a way for people to say this pins in the B position today, um, which turns out was a very complicated problem, which <laughs> uh, made all, all of the code in the app and everything just, you know, with complexity. Um, but you know, now we're kind of at this end goal, which has been really fulfilling and great to see. And also want to highlight while I have this chance, like Duca did, you know, the, the data science, the, the hard, you know, calculation side of it, but we also have a whole team of people, um, you know, building the Android side of things and the iOS side of things and the web side of things and the marketing and the growth and like everything that has to come together, um, to put out a big release like this. And then, you know, our customer support or customer success team, you know, like getting slammed with people asking questions about round ratings. Um, it's been certainly an interesting last 10 days or so since this has been released. And we're really happy that we have received all the feedback we have. Um, another interesting one, like we've only had this out for about a week and over 300,000 rounds have already been scored with round ratings. Um, so that's just gives you maybe a little idea of like sort of the, you know, the, number of people that have already been exposed to this, which is really exciting to us. I think that's, you know, quite a large number, potentially more rounds than have had PDGA ratings all year so far. I don't really know if, that, if that's true, but within a few weeks, it certainly would eclipse that number. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try to ask you what features coming next. Like, what are you, what are you, like, what's, I know you guys have a roadmap that you probably plan at least two years in advance. 
you're giving us too much credit there i think <laughs> well you said this wasn't well you said this was being worked no they said it just years. took three years, oh, it took three years. <laughs> the roadmap might have said uh left turn at a year and duke is like well we're not quite there let's keep going forward yeah i mean oh, i think i think we wanted to have this out like two years ago <laughs> oh wow okay all right but so, like, what, what's like, major within you know that that's either just been nagging on you guys or nagging or excited from the customers, whatever or, you want to word it. This is out of the way. What's the biggest feature request? Like, yeah. what is it that your that your users really, really want that you guys are not yet giving them? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> there is a lot of things that people want. Um, I touched on it earlier that the hardest thing for us as a company is always to decide what to work on because there just are so many things that would be fun um, or that people are asking us for. Uh, I can tell you that you know. I'm happy to share a few things we're working on right now because the, the easiest thing, it, it's very hard for us to be like, yeah, you know, this will come out on X date, yeah, but there are some cool. projects that we are actively working on right now that will come out. <laughs> so, um, you know, at the moment we're working on a few projects related to improving some of the stats within the app. Um, a lot of the charts and metrics that we're able to share within the app right now, we're not were built before smart layouts existed. So they don't mm. fully take into account the fact that, you know, you played from the, you know, short T to the A pin. Um, so we're going to be improving that quite a bit within the scorecard um, and uh, and outside of the scorecard. But um, that's really exciting. I'm personally really excited for that one. It, it's going to allow you to kind of see a different view um, of your own game as you're playing, as you're keeping score. Um, we're also doing some stuff with improved course filtering at the moment, which is something that we've needed uh, a revamp of for quite a while. So, you know, one of the ones that I'll spoil, we just released the course difficulty stuff that Duca touched on, where we have now a scale that's kind of based on um, like skiing. So there's like, mm. you know, the circles and the diamonds and things to denote like how difficult the course is. So we're going to finally have a way for you to filter courses based on how difficult they are, which I think is uh, going to be fun. Um, and then another one that is with our beta team, actually, I think I think it's at least with our iOS beta team, it's about to be an Android if it isn't already. Um, we're finally adding distance to pin on the Apple Watch and Android Wear OS watches. So you'll finally be able to just go, oh, cool, I'm 200 feet away, um, which is very fun and personally very excited for that one as well. How, ac- uh, how accurate is that with GPS? Within 15 feet? Is In that 100. kind of the... Yeah, I mean, phones have, like, the best reading you're generally going to get on phone GPS is, like, 10 to 15 feet. Um, I don't think, you know, this isn't something, we already have distance to pin in the scorecard on the phone, so it's the same, it's the same thing. It's really just on your watch instead of on your phone, which is potentially more useful if you're stepping up to your lie and you want to know. Um, I, I would not recommend using this to determine if you're inside or outside of circle one. <laughs> I think this is more, this is more like, am I 200 feet away or 240 feet away? Like yeah. making a disc selection is how I would personally use it. Um, like, should I grab my mid or my putter or something like that? No, um, that makes a lot of sense. Cause we've, I mean, we've said fun. not that this is going to in general, like replace a Bushnell, but we have, th- this would be in theory faster than pulling out, unzipping, Tagging it. If you're depending on what your accuracy you're looking for, if you just want to know, mm-hmm. am I two ten or two forty out? And you can look at your watch. That's great. Um, if if you care that you're two ten versus two twenty two, that's a different story. Then that's where Bushnell is going to really kind of zone you in. And we've got 
you know, I'm going to throw him under the bus, our buddy Steve, he'll, he bushnells the circle a lot of times because it's not marked at your mm-hmm. local course. So he'll just go out and tag it and be like, yeah, I'm outside the circle. Yeah, he's like, only been playing for 30 years. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. But, well, yeah. of course, a laser rangefinder is going to be much more accurate, and that's great. But I think, you know, in a pinch or if you're just really quickly wanting to know roughly how far away you yeah. are, it's going to be a really nice, a really nice tool to have in your bag. Oh, it's going to force me to get That'll an be a fun one at some point. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, while I'm, while I'm mentioning that we have, uh, we partnered with Garmin a year ago to finally put you on the Garmin watches and they have had distance to pin since they were released about a year ago or a little over a year ago. Um, and we finally were able to <laughs> find the time to add this to the, some of the other watch platforms that we support, which it's very complicated. Every single watch is totally different. It's totally different <laughs> code. It shares nothing with yeah. the mobile apps. It's like its own app basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always having to learn new things and learn expertise in new devices and watches are not very easy to work with in a lot of ways, but once you get it done, it feels great. <laughs> <laughs> then something you don't want to touch for another year. We're just going to leave the watch up yeah. alone and we'll catch up on that one later. I, I can completely yep. understand. As kind of a side note, Duca, because we've seen and known Matt for all these years, and including like early data entry on the course, like actually doing you, you know I, some of that stuff. Literally, I saw someone pulled up a picture the other day on Reddit, and it had I think it was oh, yeah. first, first year of the Pro Tour, and it was Matt doing that. Someone's like, "This is Ricky, this is Nico, and this is Yuli and Germ." I think, but who's the guy in the middle? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like. That's Matt from UDISC. Like, literally, he was keeping score for them, probably, you know. And while Josh is, like, panicking and sweating, trying to make sure the servers stay up that year, you know? Yep, precisely. So, knowing that we've seen him, and, and, and not as often now, but uh, where are you in terms of, uh, you know, consuming, playing, obviously, disc golfing, programming, you know, you know, everybody thinks like, well, I want to get a job in disc golf. I'll just play disc golf all the time, which we all know, all four of us know is very wrong. But uh, wh- where are you on the scale of uh, your participation in your, your activity in terms of disc golf? Sure. Yeah, I, I play multiple times a week um, as much as I can, really. Um, uh, I'll play the occasional tournament. My tournament participation has dropped off a little bit over the last years. Uh, having a kid will do that to you, but, mm. um, yeah, I, I, I get out and play as much as I can. I've got a, got a basket set up in the basement with a tarp behind it to practice my putting and 20 putters down there to try to get as many reps as I can. So yeah, I'm, I'm as much of a discaholic as, as the next guy I'd say. Is there anyone mm-hmm. at UDisc that is like genuinely not a disc golfer? That's like, eh, I'm, you know, I, I, then maybe they do a great job and obviously in the things they do, but like disc golf is just not a passion of theirs and they're, you know, just a useful tool within your, uh, your portfolio. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so at UDisc, everybody plays disc golf. Everybody is not necessarily obsessed with playing disc golf, but mm-hmm. everybody at least enjoys it. And everybody had played and, you know, enjoyed playing before they started working at UDISC. So, so far, you know, we haven't hired anybody that like is unfamiliar with the sport or, you know, hasn't played it, but there are varying levels of sure. dedication amongst the team. You know, we have all the way from Noah who was on, uh, they won the collegiate championship last year. Was it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first place team, he's, you know, a very mm-hmm. highly rated player who plays MPO 
all the way down to some people who are very much beginners who you know don't play very often but still enjoy the sport. And Duca, I will say, is probably top three. Ooh, <laughs> top okay. Four. Who's the who's the who's he's above the, him? The Udis leaderboard. Yeah, who's above him? Well, I mean, Noah's definitely number one. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. It's hard to say after that. We've got a couple of young guns that can throw, you know, 500 feet, and it's it's a little bit humbling when you're playing with them. It, it, uh, you know, this kind of ties together, especially with Duca and coming on a few years ago. Right now, and, and we all know everything from not only just the slow part of the season specifically, but then also general economy and everything else. But right now, is is UDISC hiring? And uh, if so, and if you're even not right now, who? what might you be looking for in the future? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We are not at this exact moment. Um, It's very likely that we will be in the early to late spring. Um, I think that... You know, it's it's always tough at the end of the year. We're trying to figure out like what budgets and things look like for the next year, but we're definitely going to be hiring in the spring. So okay. the best place if you're interested is udis.com slash jobs. Um, we post there. We also will post on social media. We'll also put the banner in the app. So when you open the app, uh, that'll be there. The one thing that we are hiring for before that will be interns. Um, so we have summer internships generally in um, engineering or marketing and growth that we do each year. And those, our goal is to have that up in December. So if you are a college student who is looking for a really fun summer internship with a really cool team, uh, don't need to look anywhere but here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have those up in December and with the goal to start um, interviewing in probably January um, to line up summer of 2024 internships. Okay. Um, I, I had a question earlier that now just came back to me. So w- when I think of, uh, and I'm sure you guys probably have the number of how many players roughly are rated like a thousand and above or, or maybe in a different scenario, how many like 1100 rated rounds and above we have those, those are the thousand is obviously more, um, in sheer, in terms of sheer number, what I'm trying to relate that to is like our 300 rated rounds. Like how exclusive do you feel like 300 rated rounds? And is there an exclusivity you want to keep to that? Like there's only been so many, you know, 30 or 40, 1100 rated rounds. How exclusive do you envision 
three, you know, what that threshold is at 300 or maybe it's 310 and above or whatever. Like a percentage? Yeah. Do you ever... Top 3%? Is there a a projection or a guess as to how exclusive you feel like some of those really high numbers will be, uh, will come in at? Yeah, I've I've got, uh, I'm not sure how outdated this is, but I think it should be roughly right. For a 300 or above round, uh, we think it's less than a fraction of a percent of, of rounds are going to be rated. 300 above. I'll give you a couple benchmarks. Uh, at the 200, maybe I'll go to like 250 first. Even even at 250, um, we're seeing roughly around a 1% are going to be rated 250 or above. Wow. Okay. Um, keep in mind this is this is for uh, probably a different audience than sure. a competition tournament audience. Uh, but uh, regardless, 200 benchmark is another good one. We're seeing something like. Uh, 16 or 17 percent of rounds are going to be rated 200 or above. Uh, roughly the 150-ish range is is sort of the middle of the scale. So half of half of rounds are going to be rated at or above 150, 155 or so, um, and so on down the list. Okay. Uh, the 100 benchmark is something like 90 uh, percent of rounds are going to be rated 100 or above. He's saying you don't have to worry about that, Terry. Uh, no, I was just thinking like <laughs> if your if your UDISC rating somewhere keeps up or, or you know coincides with a bowling average, you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like for, yeah. for some of those numbers that you just described. If I could bowl uh, my UDISC rating, <laughs> if I would, only I would I would be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, if only. Yeah, so. it's funny. It's kind of funny that it ended up like that. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we didn't really plan the scale, you know, based on bowling or anything like that. It was more, uh, it it seemed like it made sense. We really like that there's sort of some clean benchmarks um, for people to hit. Like what we published in the blog is that like getting to your first round above 100 is great for, you know, somebody brand new to the sport. Mm. Um, Getting to 200 is somebody, you know, that's getting a little more serious and then trying to get as close to 300 as you can is, is, you know, like the ultimate goal for a pro. Um, But it is, you know, in a way it kind of, is akin to bowling. You know, if you bowl in the two hundreds, you're probably pretty happy with your, (laughs) with your game. Um, but at the same time, it is, you know, a completely different thing. It's just yeah, uh, yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. It just, and Johnny so, and I actually did briefly talk about this. I think before we even knew we were going to talk to you guys uh, tonight, we talked about it this weekend during our round of, of just like the scale is just really unique in that sense. Um, you know, because bowling is flat out raw numbers. It's a score number of yeah, finite number, down. so on. And, and there's so a forth. cap. And you know, bowling is cap, cap exactly. That's what I mean. And yeah. like you know, then you think of the PDGA rating where the there's a benchmark. There's a lot of benchmarks, but one, namely being a thousand. And then you know whether that's your permanent rating or even a, a rated round. That's a significant benchmark within disc golf. And obviously, eleven hundred is just a whole other story. So. Uh, yeah, just and then thinking about you know, a batting average, and I was just trying to relate like where in the world three hundred ish kind of came from with you guys. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I love I love a correlation, but yet it's it's not you know exactly spot on with anything else in particular. So mm-hmm. makes sense. I like it. Yeah, one one thing to note there is is just that we think people are going to get used to it. You know, we've, sure. we've only internally had this specific scale uh, for. I don't know, Matt, maybe Mid-August. a month or so. Mid-August, yeah, um, right? I don't think we, we even had like the... 
Oh, you know, that was retro. Rounds on the scale since <laughs> since you know only a month or a month, a couple months, something like that. And and most of us on the team yeah. are already you know pretty used to it. And and you know we know when we've shot a rating that's well above what we hoped for. Um, we know you know what ratings you know personally correspond to you know a sub a subpar well a, a mm -hmm. poor performance uh, personally. So mm -hmm. um, you know. We've we've gotten used to it pretty quickly, and and we think you know in general people will will kind of start to figure out what the benchmarks are for their personal games and and for their buddies, and um, we think we think people are going to get used to it. What's the yeah. most inaccurate say, I think or will, dumbest thing you've heard so true. far? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, most inaccurate or just blatantly wrong or dumbest take or just yeah. Yeah, mis misconception, whatever you want to call it, however you want to flower that up. But what's the dumbest, most inaccurate thing you've seen so far with regards to this? Oh, I don't, I don't know it's if I've seen anything dumb. Uh, um, yeah, you have. You're being. Yeah, nice. I think more than anything, it's just kind of general, you know, misunderstanding. Like, you know, we've had several people shoot a nine under on a nine hole course and be like, "Why isn't this rated 300?" Sure. Um, which sure. you guys, you know, you guys sussed out the reasoning pretty quickly. It's the course was not. Like we're like it's not possible really to get a three hundred mm -hmm. unless you aced every hole on the course, which you know the course just isn't hard enough. It's not as impressive to shoot minus nine at that easy pitch and putt course. Um, I don't think we've had anything. You know, I don't <laughs> want to call anybody stupid by any means, but it's uh, there's always some interesting takes out there. Um, a lot of people comparing it to other systems, uh, which is fine. It's to be expected. Um, but I think the point to drive home with that is we really are measuring something a bit different. Um, you know, this isn't a measuring competition. It's kind of a, a self-improvement metric more than anything right now. And it can be used to compare with friends. Like I said before, if you know that they adhere by the same rules and um, are not throwing two discs on every hole and things like that. Um, anything you can think of, Duca? No, yeah. I mean, most of the questions that I've, I've seen pop up or takes are, are things that we've you know, considered ourselves at some point and um, either addressed mm -hmm. in the creation of the system or, or consciously uh, didn't address. One, one thing that we haven't talked about much here is um, the fact that weather or conditions don't, don't factor into round ratings at all. And people who are used to other systems uh, might think that that's a major flaw. Mm. Uh, we think that it's, it's just, you know, it's, uh, again, measuring a different thing. Um, you know, factoring in conditions explicitly is extremely difficult. It's hard to get accurate data for wind speed and the amount of precipitation at a very localized level um, on the specific course you're playing at and not at the nearest airport, say. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there was a trade-off for automatically adjusting ratings based on, say, a field of play for that day to try to capture a, something like a, con, a course conditions, uh, because we want these things to be broadly available. Um, we, we chose to not make adjustments like that because that would require a larger field of play. We want you to be able to get a round rating if you're the only person on the course on that day. Um, and that's, that's just not possible to do if we're, if we're trying to make adjustments based on a field of play. Yeah. So, and so that's, that's one of the takes we've seen a lot. Why, why no weather? Why not make an adjustment? And, um, you know, it was a conscious decision. It's a trade-off, and uh, this is the route we we took because we think uh, the wide availability and uh, the you know just 
the ability to measure yourself against the course is, is really what we're after. And really, if, if people have an issue with it, they can always choose it to not be included in your statistics. Like, oh, this is sure. a really, yep. I came out and it, it started pouring on me on hole four. I, I finished up the round, but, you know, it became more mm-hmm. casual than it started out with. Let's just not include that one. You know, that's exactly. that's always yeah. a good option that you guys give, which I really like. And that's that's totally valid. I, there's no problem with that. If you ever want to exclude a round, that's your prerogative. Um, that's why we added it, because sometimes you're just not feeling it, but you still want to get out and play. You want to finish the round after you lost three discs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure we've all had one of those rounds. <laughs> yeah, and I think weather, too, uh, I, just even as you were talking about it, I was thinking, like, well, what happens when it, yeah, it starts raining on me on four, but then it stopped on nine, but you came out an yeah, hour later, exactly. and it didn't rain at all. And I played in the morning with 20 mile an hour winds and you played in the afternoon with 35 mile an hour yeah. winds, like, uh, and then, and trying to like make any kind of adjustment for every one of those, uh, scenarios yeah. on an individual basis. That's very difficult. But when, yeah. obviously with statistics, when you put that, like you said, uh, a grain of sand, that's a grain of sand on the yeah. beach and you can, yep. it gets lost with all the different mm-hmm. statistics. So I think it's, it's even more so, like, let's say four of you are playing the same hole, and when I'm putting, the wind is ripping, and then the wind dies, and you guys all have, you know, no wind for your putt. Like, it, it's really, really hard to account for it properly, and, you know, some of the systems out there, like, do in, in a certain way, but, you know, unless every single person, <laughs> I think, had, like, a something to read the wind, you know, for each shot, like, it's 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 hard to really do properly. It always happens to me. It's always the wind. It's fault. always, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially always that's fault. definitely your problem. I, I just I I'm going back to it. I just don't believe you nobody's like slammed their lid down and then yelled across the office. Did you see what that fucking idiot said on Reddit? Like I just I don't believe you guys haven't had a reaction. No, uh, I I've honestly I've mentioned this to Josh on <laughs> it's Terry here. Um I, I mentioned this to Josh on the board that I, I've peeked in on Reddit quite a bit. And I haven't really seen anything crazy or really outrageous about this. This is just something that is uh, that that I think is people are going to get used to. You're going to see it's go- it's going to be no different than anything else. And I'm mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm kind of surprised because it's a new mm. feature. The one thing I, I I would love to be able to you know just throw out to the world was is. You know, when when you guys raised your prices for the pro subscription, you I saw so many people complain. Like, am I getting this much more value out of it? Like, suddenly, UDisc was going to stop developing. Like, nope, this is what you get right here, and no more. Like, that's what I, that was one of the things that killed me a little inside when when people were complaining about the the, mm-hmm. the change in price. I'm thinking like they're going to be giving you like I know these guys. They're going to be continue to give you so much stuff. Like this isn't the end of their development. Look at their history, and th- like things like this are what really I think make it feel like you're you're getting such a good value for the yearly mm-hmm. cost. It's it's you know people people pay the PDGA for ratings. Like that is one of the prime drivers, and sim- I, I imagine this will probably be similar, maybe at an even bigger level because it can be casual. And whereas a PDGA, you only get ratings for tournaments. This I can get a rating mm-hmm. for any round which i think is going to be phenomenal yep yeah i mean we're like you said you know us we're always going to be improving and uh i don't think it's that unsurprising that 
most of the feedback has been positive because this is one of the most requested things that has ever been asked of us, you know, through the whole history of the app. And it's just something that we didn't quite have, you know, when we do things, we really want to do them right. And we want to put a lot of thought into it. Um, we could have done something simple years and years ago um, with a simple formula and just, you know, start spitting out numbers. And I'm sure some people would have been fine with that. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that we ran this through the rigor that it deserved um, because we do think that it has, you know, the chance to really become something that people look at to measure their game. Mm -hmm. um, and then the thing that we're the most proud of with this is how accessible it's going to be. Like you said, you know, any round you play can get a rating. Um, you can play with a mulligan on every hole and get a rating. You know, you can do all these different things and you're still going to be able to kind of compare it you know, to the ways you've played and to how your friends play and things like that, which is, is really fun. Um, you know, it's, it's maybe all than some people are used to, but at the same time, the vast majority of people who play disc golf have never had any kind of rating ever. And it's not even like, you know, 50% of people, it's like 98% of people that have ever played have never had any kind of rating. Um, it's something, you know, much bigger than that. So I think it's always tough because all of us being so like involved with disc golf, like, it's sometimes you have to step back and realize that the sport is far bigger than um, anybody really realizes. <laughs> and most people that play disc golf play very casually. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that we are very proud that we're able to provide these interesting insights and tools for people of all skill levels. And maybe someday we'll tune this a little bit better so that it works for the pros. But, you know, but we're not, we're not, we're certainly not done there. There's, there's a lot more that can be done and, just, uh, you know, at this point, the fundamental work is done and there's so much more that can be done and built upon it. Oh, awesome. I, uh, I, of course, if, as if Johnny and I don't gush enough over you guys, we appreciate all the things that you guys have been doing along with the rest of the team and the staff and everyone that has worked and, you know, watching you guys from the very early beginnings, uh, then continue. And, and it's not really a secret that a lot of people, including us, have you know, proclaimed UDisc as one of the number one most revolutionary game changers that we've seen in disc golf uh, in our in our lifetime with finding the courses and then also all the live scoring and yet all the other things you guys improve upon. So you have our uh, you have our love and admiration forever, and we really appreciate it. Is there is there anything else either we didn't touch on um, or anything else you'd like to say or address or or throw out there before we let you guys go? Um, I think one just quick, one more shout out to the, yeah, one more shout out to the whole team that worked on this and just everything at UDisc. I think the thing that we always have to pinch ourselves that so many smart people wanted to devote their you know careers towards disc golf. And I know I said that before, but it, it's worth repeating. Like we really have a solid team um, and everybody is working towards the same goal of just making disc golf more accessible and getting more people out to play. Um, and also Duca is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh is asking us to ask Duca about his chalk opinions. Yeah, bro, no whiteboard? <laughs> what year is this? This must be talked about. Tell us about no, it. Gross. Whiteboard, are you kidding me? <laughs> Disgusting. No, uh, yeah, chalk opinions, sure. Yeah, there's a particular brand of Japanese chalk called Hagoromo that is... Uh, the best chalk you've ever felt. It's the smoothest drawing experience. Um, it, uh, there was a, a crisis for a moment when the original company that made the chalk was going out of business. I think they ended up selling to um, another firm. 
uh, mathematicians all over the world were hoarding this chalk because they thought it was the last <laughs> few boxes they were ever going to get. So Hagoromo, the best chalk that you could ever get your hands on. Damn, the best U-disc money can buy, the best chalk on the planet. <laughs> Duca needs it. So keep fueling him. <laughs> Guys, if you have this chalk, make sure you send it in. All right, so uh, where does this chalk, but where does this come from? I mean, I know you just said smooth writing, which I can't imagine more smooth than like a, a dry erase, for instance. But where does <laughs> where's the affinity for chalk and chalkboards come from? Because most people are like have goosebumps right now, like I do, and the hair standing up just thinking about chalk and chalkboards. Uh, I don't know. I, it's a mathematician thing, I think. Um, yeah, most most mathematicians I know prefer chalkboards over whiteboards. Hmm. Don't don't know exactly why, but I'm I'm in that camp. All right, <laughs> like you're Goodwill hunting or something. Jeez. Okay, yeah, so, a little harder Duke, to erase. I was gonna say, Duke, you had one more thing you wanted <laughs> yes. to add. Oh, I was I was gonna say exactly what Matt said. Um, shout out to the whole the whole team. You know, I was far from the only person who's worked on this project. Um, you know, I, I at some point we had a had a big shout out. I I think everybody on the team has touched this project at some point. Um, and there are many aspects to make this work. The math is one of those aspects. Um, the delivery to the mobile devices is another. The designs are, we think, are amazing and beautiful. Um, the, the planning of the entire project and uh, the decision making about how it's going to look and how it's going to be presented to the users. Um, everybody on customer success who who has you know, been fielding questions and, you know, collecting even requests for this feature and feedback um, and, and you know, responding to all the questions that we've gotten. Um, you know, it's, it's a huge effort from so many people on the team to make something like this work. Um, and really all of the features that we work on are a huge team effort. Um, so shout out to everybody uh, who's, who's worked on this and, and everything that we build. Well, we'll double down on all of that. Again, the fact that you have that many paid staff members, you're looking to grow, you're looking to make continuous improvements and uh, enhancements and everything else, and then make it all available on all the different platforms and uh, phones and everything else is insane. <laughs> In addition to the watches, like you said, a whole other layer of difficulty there. Uh, the, the rest of the disc golf world, thanks you guys. We, of course, thank you personally, and we know that the rest of the disc golf world does. And uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight and breaking this down and adding additional layers of insight and information for everyone else that might be wondering how and, and where this all came about. Uh, if, if they didn't get smarter in the last hour and a mm -hmm. half, I don't know what else we can do to help them. <laughs> this might be the most useful mm -hmm. thing we've done in, in the entire year. So we really appreciate it. Guys. Yeah, if thank anybody's still... If anybody still has any questions about it, check out udis.com slash blog. There's a really nice article that lays out all the various aspects of round ratings and answers many of the questions we talked about um, today in, in some detail. So it's a great place. Otherwise, I also wanted to say thank you guys for having us. And uh, we love what you guys do as well. And it's been <laughs> great to just watch everything grow together. Most certainly. Well, thank you. And like I said, I think we're uh, we're continuing to help push each other, but also some of the successes that any of us are experiencing are, are kind of just layered one on top of each other as we both work mm -hmm. our ways through it. And thank you guys for being not only doing it, but also being like smart and stuff because <laughs> we know where we come up short. <laughs> All right, Johnny, let's go order our chalkboard now. All right, guys, have a good night. <laughs> we appreciate it. Good night, guys. See ya. Thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs>
I think it would take so much more than a chalkboard to make us smarter. Oh, God. But maybe that's a start. Just think if we had, like, things written on a chalkboard behind us right now. No. People would be impressed. I have a whiteboard at work. No, no. That's clearly clearly not. F the whiteboard. Everybody's got a whiteboard. I know. Smart wonder, mathematician types have chalkboards. I wonder if it has something to do with like the, the, the ease of erasing, like as on a whiteboard where like you're afraid to like brush up on it and erase it versus a chalk. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, see, I mean, every, every that's industry. the next Google question, right? Why do mathematicians <laughs> uh, use chalk? Like it auto completed for me, although Google's probably listening to me. Well, uh, the very first thing that podcast. pops up says, Using chalk and chalkboards is not only conducive to teaching and learning, but also has environmental benefits, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that, that doesn't say uh, somewhere on Reddit r slash math tells you why, but you'll have to read that for the after show. Either way, chalk. Chalk's the way to go, I, I guess. Mean, only if you're smart. Only, yeah, so <laughs> it might, I'll stick it to might, my uh, non-sharpened us, pencil. It might rule us out. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you to UDISC. Uh, it's funny because as is, is incredible and useful and insightful as all of that is, it's fair to still say you and I are still not like a primary demographic, not just because we're in the disc golf community in and involved in the production and media stuff the way we are, but just in general, you and I collectively combined play less disc golf than probably almost every one of our viewers. Correct. Like the fact that you may play anywhere from two to 10 rounds in the year. I may play two to 10 rounds in a year, maybe 20 max. That even sounds, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds uh, high. Um, We're not your primary users of something like UDISC for all of the capabilities and features, but I will double down, and I should have said it to them as well, I will double down that my most incredible use is when I went to Estonia recently, and every single time I wanted to know where a course was, that was my go-to, that was my default was to mm-hmm. use UDISC. And then because it was a, such a unique experience as I think all international travel is, I was actually playing and then I felt really compelled to leave some form of review. And I, I've become bigger on reviews because not only do reviews help me later if I ever do get to return, but hopefully they're helping others. But I also like treat reviews just like I do of a, of a hotel or a restaurant. I treat them almost like a diary too. So that when I do go back to Jonesboro, which I haven't been to in three years and there's the local pizza shop and I genuinely don't remember like, Oh, did I enjoy that or not? Well, if there's a Google review that I left, then again, I kind of treat it as a diary. Mm. Same could be said on UDISC. And I think it kind of self-perpetuates as you're, as you're uh, traveling and taking in these new places. I mean, we're no Avery Jenkins. No, Avery guy, Jenkins, over like 1,500 courses. 1,500, that guy and racks up courses. Course hoarding, collecting, acquiring, whatever he does. There's a lot of words for it. All right, so thank you again. Uh, to those guys over at UDISC and the rest of the staff and crew and team that all make it happen. All right. Disc Golf Masters Tour. Oh, that I was trying to think where we wanted to go next. Yeah. Let's, let's quickly. I did reach out to Callie. I'd love to talk to her. Uh, understandably, when she did see my message, she's like, I'm exhausted. Uh, it's been a heck of a week and weekend. Uh, as she concluded the Disc Golf Masters uh, Tour, 
But uh, do you have it up and running, I Masters Tour finale that took place? I think I've got. Oh, I did have it. Oh, sorry. Mm, nah, mm, I had it for a sec. The finale at North Cove. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, I've got to quickly up right touch here. on a few of our uh, our champions there. Yeah, this was as Terry said, the 2023 DGMT finale um, in the MP40 division. Tony Farrow wins this one, shoots 19 under par, kind of crushing the rest of the field, uh, beating David, Josh, Adam, Andrew, and Kevin McCoy, which is the one of the first names that really kind of sticks out because just because he's old like us. Well, all these guys are old yeah, like us, to be honest. But Kevin uh, Kevin goes way back with us. So uh, Tony Farrow wins that, taking home $3,000. Congratulations, Tony. FP40, Sarah Hokum wins $900. Uh, beating Shannon Barker. MP50, the ageless wonder Johnny McRae, shoots nine under, beating Matt Peckham. I didn't realize Matt Peckham was MP50 now. Oh, wow. he's been a while, oh. like a long time. Like a, wow, like a long time. <laughs> uh, so Matt Peckham uh, beating him by six strokes, Johnny McRae. Uh, third place, Robert Ryan going to FP50. It was a field of one. Donna Barr wins that in MP60. Chris Hartman shooting a one-under, beating Mitch McClellan and Jay Gobrek by five strokes. So Chris took home $2,000 in a field of 14. MP70, Mark Sherwood, MP80, Carlos Rigby. M- uh, there's a bunch of MA. Oh, I'll go through them because there's just a few of them. MA40, Brian Pyle, FA40, Brenda Wiltgen, MA50, Mark Goffey, FA50, Jacqueline Reiser, MA60, George Botarigo. Botarigo. Also an AM World Champion. Also, oh, yeah, also the AM World Champion. You're right. Uh, MA70, Lee Redding, MA80, Ronald Bird. So those are the players who competed in the 2023 DGMT finale. Like you said, we'll have Cali on at some point to kind of give us a summary of how the season went. And hopefully, maybe kind of get an idea of what next season's going to entail. Yeah, if, if this is successful enough, because this was the first year. If she's going to continue this, I would make a guess that she is. But in general, we ain't getting any younger. <laughs> no, no, the field. No, nobody's getting younger, Terry. That's, no, that's how. That's how that works. Well, yes, uh, it, very exciting to have one year under a belt. I mean, just think of the whirlwind that it was eight months ago. I, I got to do the math. Eight ish nine months ago when we just heard of it mm-hmm. when Callie joined us broke it all down for us and I I know she could already anytime you're on the road and you're either running tournaments or a full-time vendor and or playing or doing any combination of the three uh there's there's a few dozen people that have done that you know I think of you know um Mike Barnett I think of Chuck Conley and so on and so forth a number of people Mace Man all those any one of them could write a book that would be wildly entertaining with the experiences they go through as you run or you travel around the country. And then it's one thing that you're doing it as a player. We see this as a professional touring player. You, they too could write a book. A very different book is someone like Callie or Mike or Chuck in this case, who are at these events organizing these events and or a main tournament director and then having a hands-on experience with hundreds of people week in and week out. So therefore their stories 
uh, can be magnified that much greater and could be that much louder because they have that many more interactions. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying when you have, uh, you know, tenfold the interactions, there's a good chance there's going to be even some crazier stories within them. So at some point, yes, we'd love to get Callie and maybe she's got some of those stories to share some of the successes, the things she's learned. And uh, like you said, how she'll, how she'll progress and move forward in 2024. I I can only imagine the undertaking that this year was, Mm -hmm. and then what she has lined up. So, and real quick, we're going to talk about another A tier that happened because we're an all masters uh, podcast. Now we're going to talk about the Bud Hill masters event, uh, which is a really, really big uh, this in general was the premier masters event for many years. Now there's going to be some back and forth between this and the MT. I'm sure they'll work it all out. Uh, Jimmy Martinez wins this. Oh, by four strokes over Stevie Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, third place was Dutch Napier. Fourth place, Matt dollar moving on to FP 40. Uh, Jenny Umstead wins this over Sandy Gast. MP 50, Patrick Brown taking down, uh, Damon Pugh, Jay Yeti Redding, Eric Eastwood, Vinnie Miller, and then finally in FP50, Juliana Corver wins over Des Redding. It was a tie, but obviously Juliana wins because she's on top with a number one and her prize money's worth more than Des. So getting revenge. A little, I was getting a little revenge from, uh, was it Worlds? No, it's no. the U.S. Women's. Oh, U.S. Women's. Thank you. U.S. Women's major. is when we saw those two go head-to-head and Des uh, got the the upper hand on Juliana and Juliana getting Not it back time. here. And also, the the uh, as you mentioned, uh, Jenny and Patrick both winning. Uh, so congrats to them as they – it's been a few months now that they've been engaged, but you have the engaged couple taking down both of their respective divisions this weekend. So Which brings congrats us to the next to event, honestly. That yes, all engagement nice. all the time. No. Oh, uh, Gatekeeper Media presents the Down East Players Cup. Who are they getting married to? They're not. Get, uh, I don't believe Gatekeepers <laughs> getting married to anybody. But a married couple won this event. What? That's right. In oh. MPO, Grady Shoe wins by a stroke. In FPO, Paige Shoe, who he's married to, surprisingly. Had, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah they got the last. And last you know name. what's even crazier? In four minutes in their time zone, it's their damn anniversary. Wow. Yeah. I, I think. I think I just pulled that one out. Pretty sure it is. Mm, Terry Miller. So anyways, I'd bet on it. So wow. So Grady beats uh Blake Polland, Gavin Rathbun, Tall Paul Omen, and Paige Shue wins over Holly Finley, Megan Goldsby, uh Arana Shakova. I'm gonna go with that. So congratulations to the wonderful married couple and Schwebby got an MP forty win. So rack up another Put another notch there. She just keeps going. Yet again, Schwebby's married to winning. Well, and Ashley, who celebrated her birthday last week. But yeah. Schwebby's also married to winning. That's what that guy does. Ashley's better than winning, though. Uh, it's like winning every day with Ashley. <laughs> uh, and yes, the shoes celebrate an anniversary on the 25th, October 25th. So tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. And that's why I was saying in a few hour, in a few minutes, it'll be within their time zone. It'll technically be their anniversary, along with the Dosses. So congratulations, Nate and Val. Uh, they'll be celebrating their nine-year anniversary tomorrow. Grady and Paige celebrating four years. So congratulations to the shoes. <laughs> for everyone that was looking for some. Yeah, everyone's looking for that anniversary. <laughs> anniversary update. I've got I've got you. Some of these are, are, are uh, definitely ingrained. 
All right. Those are uh, your- uh, yeah, that's what we saw for some uh, for some uh, yeah. our biggest action taking place around the country, and then overseas in another country, Spain, I believe. Oh yeah, we have the the Euro Tour event, the championship, right? Yeah, the PDGA Euro Tour champion in Andalusia. I think I pronounced that right. I think you nailed it. Getting his first big win really was Silver Lot. And he bested Elias by three strokes. It doesn't have uh, their how much they won here, but I believe this is one of Silver's. Biggest I think it wins. was five thousand. Was it five? 000? I don't know if the th- five thousand euros or dollars. Either way, it's close though. They're relatively. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that it was five thousand dollars and was his largest uh, payout of his career. Um, and then I he's had a few wins. But this was definitely, uh, I think, one of the largest, most significant wins. Uh, And by few, he's had 47, actually, as I'm looking at his chart right now, about 40 of those being an open, Mm -hmm. 40, 42 of those being an open. And, of course, payout structure very different in in Europe in general. Um, So there is some of that factoring in. But, yeah, you're looking at his, his largest payout ever. And at, uh, I think, like I said, I think I heard $5,000. So and this is his first ever A tier win, Silvers. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a bunch of B tier, a couple B tiers, a bunch of C tiers. Um, and as we know, like the, the field sizes tend to be smaller. There's less, there are less A tiers overseas than they have opportunity for here. So congratulations to Silver. Um, over on the FPO side, Silva Sarnin wins this one handily, talking 17 strokes here. Over uh, Yeni Karpinen. So congratulations to Silva. An, uh, one of her bigger wins as well. Although I believe... I'm going to look at her career wins right now. Yeah, she's done she's all right. A, she's got a couple A-tiers under her belt from the elite tier. Uh, the yeah, she Euro, won almost every Euro event tour this year. year. So, on the Euro this Tour. Is the fu- this is the tour. finale. Yep. So obviously it's, you know, maybe holds a little bit more weight. But other than that, she's got a bunch of uh, A-tiers under her belt already. So congratulations to Silva. Yeah, Silva and Silver both taking down the win. Pretty cool uh, mm-hmm. to think about it. And then there was, in fact, a moment uh, when you and I were out playing, and it was something that we both noticed on our own. Um, just the uh, uh, if you follow Kristen on Instagram, she had posted in a story, basically what looked like she was on a chair or a blanket or in a chair, maybe in bed or in a chair, relaxing. She had a blanket and I think a, a warm cup of coffee or something of that nature, uh, saying how she was excited to be watching uh, Silver, her fiancé, competing over in Spain. And it just feels, it feels like, so it was like such a, for lack of a better phrase, like such a boss move, like she's just chilling, relaxing. She's got the highest season earnings of any competitor of all time. She's officially taking her break and starting her off season in, uh, in, in that competitive sense. And her fiance has to continue. Her, her fiance is out there. Uh, and also earning coincidentally earning his biggest paycheck and earning, yeah. uh, you know, one of his, the biggest win really of his life. Uh, it just, there, there was something that you just, it, it feels what's the word it's Kristen's world we're living in it yeah yeah exactly that's a good way to I put mean, it and as it's we know, awesome it's great for I her. love it she gets to take I mean she busted her ass all year long and this is a good time for her just to decompress and probably not think about golf for quite a few weeks 
for her own golf, I'll say. She can still think about Silver's golf, but that's a little less stressful than your own. So hopefully she takes a nice couple-week break, then gets, you know, starts warming up and doing whatever she's going to do, whether it's practicing putting or forehands or whatever she needs to do to get ready for, to fill her well, as Ricky said last yeah, her week. Mental well. Her mental well. Um, I think... Um... I think I saw that there was maybe even I think her and Silver some of the off season stuff they're doing is going to be uh they run their disc golf academy mm-hmm. where they uh do lessons and things of that nature and I believe that there's one scheduled in a few weeks that they're going to be doing. So that's some of the stuff they'll be doing in their off season in Estonia is uh you know running clinics and you know possibly even unsanctioned tournaments or or minor competitions along with doing uh some of the training and whatnot. So there's, there's going to be rest, but uh, you know that clearly they're both hard Still workers work. as it is. Exactly. So best of luck. Congrats again uh, to Silver. Uh, you just you love it. <laughs> Not a lot of other PDGA news or announcements this week. It was pretty quiet. I think we're going to start to kind of go into our, I'd love to say our slow season. And it might be slow, I would say, for the next two weeks or so before we really start hearing rumblings of players changing manufacturers and the silly season starts, the hot stove season, whatever you want to call it. We've got players that are coming up on coming up on the end of their contracts. Yeah. I believe Discraft has quite a few of mm-hmm. their FPO uh coming up on uh on contract. I think I saw Paige Pierce's contract is over. We talked to Holland Hanley a few weeks ago. Hers is Missy Gannon as well. And maybe Valerie Mondahano as well. I she might have been a one-year signing. She might, I can't remember if she's one or two years. There, but. We'd have to look, but I'm not going to dig into that too much. Uh, we know Gannon Burr's contract is up at the end of this year, um, says the courts and everybody else apparently. So we'll see. I, there's a lot of rumors right now out there because I see Gannon offloading Prodigy discs. But I will say this. He's also loading every, up on Legos. That's true. He does. He <laughs> he's got to support his Lego. He's got to support his Lego habit. Um, he's done this almost every off season yeah. as well. He tends to gather discs and then unload them in the off season. I, I'm not reading too much into this particular these particular posts um, of him selling some of his plastic. Some of his stuff is is you know bag worn mm-hmm. type uh, of discs. You know they were in his bag, but other stuff is just stock stuff that he's accumulated over the last couple over the last year or two or whatever so i wouldn't read too much into that yeah yeah you know obviously there was a lot of conversation and then there was even you know the the court proceedings and everything that took place i would say just at face value or 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 just from a a wider perspective even though he finished out the year had us obviously a a very solid year even though all, everything kind of settled in, one has to think there there either is residual or lingering I don't know. feelings. You would have to think there has to be. Like, you literally had two people I mean, prob- there probably go to court. Is. Go to court over something. And I'm not Te- saying like burying the hatchet and just moving on. And, and I don't think they ever had to go to court, but, well, they, did, but they did file. The court proceedings, proceedings unfolded. Yeah. So you would have to think. And now you would love for everyone to say, oh, well, kumbaya. And, and you know, maybe every, every 
transgression was forgiven and or misgiving or misunderstanding. You would love to think that. And I'm saying that's absolutely 100% possible. I think it's less likely. I agree. That both parties are 100% like, yes, we are 100% ready to move forward. Now, both parties may say, eh, I'm 80% ready. And the other one says, eh, I'm 80%. Status quo, let's just re re keep things going. And that's good enough. Maybe 80% is good enough on both of their opinions. Who knows? One may be 90% ready to go and the other one's 10% ready. Either way, you would have to feel like there was some tear in that relationship. It's just a question is, is, is it or will it be mended enough to continue a or restart a new contract? Well, there's two, I have a hard time believing it. There's will. two things that will mend that. Legos and money. <laughs> now, may, maybe he can get a big Lego bonus. Mm. But my guess is if Prodigy comes back with the best offer by a certain amount, I'm guessing that that kind of maybe that that puts a lot of those feelings in the past. It might, and I, now obviously we all know that money doesn't solve all those problems, though. Mm, like it solves a lot of them. Depends on what that money difference is, right? Correct. Right. Like yes. if somebody, I'll, I'm just going to make up some numbers for fun. Oh, if somebody comes to him and says, "Hey, we're going to give you five hundred thousand for a year, or five hundred thousand a year," I'm just going to make up a number, and then somebody else says. Well, let's just say Prodigy says that. And then somebody else comes along and says, you know what? We're capping it out at 495000 That's the most we're going to offer you. Again, that money may not be enough to make a difference to Sway. You know, Just because there's more money doesn't mean he's going to necessarily go that way. And again, I'm just making up some random numbers. But to be determined, right? But it's fair to say, I think we all know, that those conversations are being had. Uh, and it's just a matter of then, it's a matter of how many parties. Mm-hmm. Because when you, a lot of people, I think, said, okay, well, just stick it out. He sticks it out and, and, and finishes out his contract. Legally, probably had to. Yeah, he does all that. Yeah, exactly. But now, is his, is his worth even greater because he did go on and prove mm. to the world that he had another great season? Like, his, his yeah. great season a year ago was was great. The question was, well, will it follow up? Was this a one-time thing? Well, then he went on to have another great season. But is he that much more valuable once he hits the market? Maybe, but we also know that the market is down. We do. So th- that could, the, the money that was possibly there for him last year, when he or earlier this year when he tried to get out of his contract, may not still be there. Mm-hmm. So most certainly it just based on the market and now, you know, it has nothing to do with his, his year, his skill level or whatnot. It's a lot of what is going on in the industry. I I don't know if we're going to see those big, you know, record breaking deals any anymore. I, I think maybe the Ricky and the Paul deals are very unique and we might see a lot of things come back down, maybe be more bonus structured, maybe be more, uh, as we saw, from Prodigy, Isaac got his own disc line. Gannon did not, but Isaac also has two major victories under his belt. And so that, I've and I've said it here a thousand times, one of the best ways to lock a player into your manufacturer is to give them a disc line, their own disc line, because yeah. that is a way that you can get, hopefully, a larger percentage of the sales... The numbers, like look at Kevin Jones, look at 
Kale LaVisca with his disc line, you know, Isaac Robinson now, Simon Lazat, Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki. These people all have their own discs. Well, or, or have a disc line coming out. So I think if you yeah. want to lock a player in, that's what you do. And maybe that we, because we didn't see Gannon get his own, maybe that's foretelling the future. Maybe it's not. Maybe they both, both sides just said, Hey, let's get through this off season. We'll shuffle things around. We'll see what's going on. And that could be a bargaining chip for next year. That could be a bargaining chip for next year. Yeah, so. and just real quick, I, so, and yeah, I know we'll, we'll these will get talked about, but just quickly perusing, I'm going to throw out a few names that you see that contracts and say they're ending. I'm stealing right from Ultra World's website. Uh, Paige Pierce, as you mentioned, Garrett Gerthy, uh, Vinyl Macula. Garrett's not going anywhere. Uh, Eagle McMahon. Um, Paige, I'm just, a, Paige I'm, Pierce probably isn't I'm going anywhere. I'm just scrolling up. I don't, I'm just, I'm just rattling uh, off. Brad Schick. Juliana Corver, Sarah Corver's, Holcomb. Corver's not going anywhere. <laughs> wow. Uh, Matt Oram, uh, Laurie Lettinen, Missy Gannon. Missy's, I don't think, is going anywhere. Kale LaVisca. Kale, probably not. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Vanessa Van Dyken, Andrew Rich, Andrew Presnell, Emerson Keith, Macy Valadez, Alden Harris, Chris Clemens, Deanne Carey, AJ Carey, Chandler Kramer, all listed as ending in 2023. Emily Beach, Stacey Ronsley, Holly Finley, Bradley Williams, Jessica Weiss, no. Nathan Queen, Philo Brathwaite, Haley King, Maria Oliva, anywhere. Alexis Mundahano, Evan Smith, Eric Oakley, James Proctor, Scott Withers, Erica Stinchcomb, <laughs> Robert Burridge, Lisa Fakus, James Proctor. Didn't we already so yeah, it's we a, said it's it a once. lot of the Lone Star people because they signed it, one it, year. It is. Uh, Katrina Allen. Gavin Babcock, Chandler Fry, Rebecca Cox, Aaron Gossage, Holland Hanley, Valerie Mundahano, Austin Hannum. I'm going to fall asleep here. Jacob, Madison Walker, or Jacob Hebenheimer, sorry. Zach Melton, Jake Mon, Paige Shue, Austin Turner. Austin has his uh, cast off. Dustin Keegan, Connor O'Reilly, Tristan Tanner, and Gavin Rathbun. Like, it's a lot uh, of people. It is. And and again, there's plenty of speculation, and there's a lot of things we all think we know and assume, and, and you said it perfectly Dust a minute Pro- ago. Proctor and Oakley both re-signed. Okay, so, they, so. they're going to have to start their 2024 uh, active tractor so we can steal from their uh, their research um, or their documenting. Yeah, it's a lot of names, and the the market is very different today than it was a year ago or three years ago, most certainly. I Yeah. I, I was thinking of all the people. To me, the most interesting one on there is Bradley Williams. Okay, Bradley coming off of second place at USCGC. Sure, not on the star team currently. Mm-hmm. I foresee one of two things happening with Bradley: either he gets bumped up to the star team, which I think he rightfully should. Now he's a he's a he's a pro tour winner. And now take, took second place at a major, or he leaves Innova. Mm. That's hot to, take. To me, if I'm looking at what should be right in the universe, <laughs> it's one of those two things. Like, just Bradley has earned his, what to me, feels to you. Like, correct. I'm not Innova. I don't make the rules. Do you know what, go, what it not needs to be to be on the star team? Not a clue. Other than your feelings. Yeah. I'll, not a clue. But I, okay. do, I knew I looked at some of, the, <laughs> some of the other people on the star team. I think he is more deserving than them. Okay. And I'm not going to name any names. I was going to say, we should call them up. Honestly, right now, if you want to look at what's happening right, right now, Philo shouldn't, shouldn't, 
Bradley Williams is more deserving than Philo. Mm. Bradley Williams is more deserving than Nate Sexton right now. And I don't mm. think Nate Sexton would argue with that. Nate is, Nate is starting to move into a different position in life. Bradley Williams is a better player than Nate Sexton at this moment. You know, Nate. We know I, you're not also on a team just out of out of correct uh, playing. Agreed, agreed. Philo it could be on that team because of media media reasons. Nate could be on for the same reason. Like there there are other reasons. Jeremy Colling, same reason. He could be on there for media and playing. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that I feel again. This is just a, a gut feeling. Bradley Williams should be on somebody's top team, and if he wants to stay with Innova, I feel like he should be on the star team. That's okay. Just based on his play. Well, uh, he is not currently there, Correct. as you said. I know. Uh, to name a few of the others, like you said, Philo, Jennifer Allen, Barsby, Bloomrose, Joel Freeman, Double G, Haley King, Coling, Merch, Corver, Heimberg, Solonen, Sexton, and Scoggins. Those are the other competitors currently listed as of today, ten twenty four, on the Innova Star Team. Yeah, Philo did win just now this year. Won a Masters major. But those majors tend to be less weighted less for sure for other things. And he was on the star team before he won a major. Bradley Williams last year won a pro tour event. He won the preserve last year. Okay. So it just again, gut feeling. I don't know what the agreements are with Innova. I don't know any of the contracts. I just look at that and say, you know, from from a real, you know, eyeball perspective. It really feels like Bradley Williams has earned his way onto a top team. So, and I can't imagine a scenario where Bradley Williams says, nah, I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to be on the top team. It's too much pressure. <laughs> uh, that extra tour series disc, just no, thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. So, uh, an- another name that jumps out at me is, and and it's probably because of the news that surrounds him, is Eagle McMahon who is listed surgery. yeah is listed as having uh his contract end this year but then also just drops the big bomb that he's having a surgery in fact is i think that's do you say it? it might be tomorrow it's coming up he's, whenever it is best of luck to you of course eagle yeah. he was I, on the board last I week i want to say the 25th 25th or 26th i don't Something remember like that so either way uh, and and look at it from another perspective eagle had a solid year this year well, being injured. And so yeah. there's this, I'll, for lack of a better phrase, flip of a coin as to if this makes Eagle a better player and he, he comes back with a longer, stronger sidearm as, you know, as one of the main advantages to having the surgery, mm-hmm. um, or if he stays the same or if he worsens. Obviously, those are all things that could happen as a real result of the surgery. Does that Does that help or hinder any potential bargaining power that he has, Possibly. whether it's with Discmania or any other brand that might be I f- in pursuit of him. I feel like it it doesn't necessarily hurt him with Discmania. Okay. Does but, it hurt him with others? But I feel like it could hurt him with others. And there, I think any manufacturer that goes into this agreement this year should have, in whatever contract they, they sign, needs to have clear... You know, either you wait until after the surgery and see how things are going, because the Eagles probably signed through the end of the year. So if he's having a surgery now, yeah, that presumes he's got one month of recovery time, where you can then at that point. But it's not like these people are waiting until 
January 1st to talk contracts. They're yeah. already, I guarantee you, Eagle has been in contract talks for months now with Discmania. Whether it's off and on, whether it's casual, there has been discussions. I, mm-hmm. I would bet money on that. Now, other manufacturers might take a wait-and-see approach. Like, well... Yeah, the question you know, is, when we, will they see? Yeah, that's a good question. But it might be too late. Exactly. It might be too late. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, what if, you know, heaven forbid, Eagle's surgery doesn't go ideal? What if the recovery time is longer than we expect? And who's going to know? That That's, I think, the other big factor, like you said, about being well, too late. What, like, you're not necessarily going to know... Eagle might be on a path thinking, hey, I'm going to be ready to go by, we'll just say, All-Star Weekend. And then Look at little Valor- does the rest of the world Valerie know. Mondahano, who yeah. said that she was ready, she wanted to be ready to go by Vegas and didn't come back until DDO. Yeah, so, I mean, I, and understandably so, we're, and not, we're not passing any judgment on those decisions. Of, of course, course not. But. And I think you have to, as a manufacturer, go into this negotiation with Eagle with that in mind. You say, okay, cool. We're, we're, if we sign you for... Three years, you know, a million dollars. Twenty million. Twenty million. Yeah, nice. sure. Wow, you rolling in it, Miller. Yeah. Uh, I'll give away somebody else. Three money. years, twenty million dollars. <laughs> Maybe there's some sort of stipulation that says, "We're if you can't play for X amount of time." Maybe that gets taken out of your salary. Sure. Maybe you know there there could be some some contingency, contingency based, based, on, based on that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, Eagle McMahon and a lot of the other players. If you are a, I think it's just media that's allowed to mm. vote. There is, I believe there's going to be a fan portion as well, but mm-hmm. the DGPT sent out emails for the player of the year, um, rookie of the year, things of that nature. There's a special weighting on the fan vote, I think, versus the media vote versus uh, the other player vote. That's all. That's all out there. So, yeah, I, I had received. I, I already filled mine out. I, I, mine I was going to say we should do it live on the air if you want to pull up my screen. Just kidding. I can't pull up your screen, no, but you could you could read it. And we could do it live on no, the air. Come I'm, on, uh, Terry. Uh, no. Terry you, 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 I don't. I don't want to succumb to the pressure. Oh, like, gosh. what's your first name? Like, I'm already like, stop, stop. <laughs> I've had a busy year. Okay, okay. I need a break. Uh, but yes, as Johnny's saying, the end of the season award voting. Um, the ballots are due November 5th. At least that's the note that was sent to me. And <laughs> there is a final note here that says, please note that the votes are public, not turning in the ballot on time or voting in a way that is not reflective of the season. For example, voting for a friend or a sponsor aligned with a player as a player of the year are grounds for losing the right to a ballot in future years. So if you, you know, if you vote for me for player of the year, you're going to get your ballot taken away next year, Terry. They just don't see your play like I do. I know. (laughs) You shouldn't be punished. Listen, you and I played this weekend and both of us, I would say, played relatively well. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's, uh, I'll I'll write your name in. Let's see what happens. I think you should. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes, uh, and and that does make sense, of course, that you're you're not ballot stuffing under some silly circumstance. If you the, want to have a debate thing is, about what, a Calvin or Eagle or Gannon for Player of the Year, that's one thing. Or I think the first or, question literally asks, sorry. or literally you have to check that you have not been influenced or paid for your vote. So a player cannot pay you to get a vote. Define pay. I mean. 
is like a shoulder rub paying like like you know if calvin came up behind me it's like you know john and just kind of rub my shoulders a little bit i mean for, uh, for, for that jim, jim Oates did rub my shoulders pretty good this year so should, he might get a should, might get a little nod you should probably vote for him <laughs> yeah i don't know might be a perfect phone call out there for me to have. I don't know. We uh, we so, should see. Yeah, so anyway, that that is happening um, in some capacity. Wow, I think that is uh, that's about it for other major news or info um, uh, on a super quick semi personal. <laughs> Yeah, personal note. Uh, tomorrow, I have the pleasure of going to the Wisconsin uh, FIED show, Wisconsin Physical Education show. It's actually Wisconsin Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance, Whoppered. That's a mouthful. It, it is. And I think they go by Whoppered. Uh, otherwise, sometimes known as AFERDS when they're the American Association for Physical Education, Recreation, Health, and Dance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's often where you see you play and, and very much... Um, uh, um, people, tr- anyone trying to promote disc golf into uh, schools and whatnot. This I've been going to the show for twenty some years. Um, at one point, I think I was partially teamed up with Edge and uh, and uh, many of the other times. Our 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 organization that helps put it together in Wisconsin is called the Wisconsin Disc Sports Association, and largely the premise of being there is to introduce disc golf. And disc sports. So if somebody does have a question about ultimate, we've got keys and guides and resources that we can point them to. Clearly, I'm not giving an ultimate lesson, uh, but we can find the right people. And there's plenty of other, you know, ultimate enthusiasts that we also can connect them with. Disc golf has been the main one that we've pushed. But even this almost feels like we've run our course. And this is similar to going to the Wisconsin Park and Recreation Show, which you often see a lot of our manufacturers at uh, at a national or international level. Uh, you know, I rewind 20 years ago, well, almost exactly 20 years ago, I think I went to one of my first shows and teachers were like, is that like a bird feeder, a deer feeder? Like what? what is this basket contraption thing thinking like I made up some crazy new sport because there's a lot of crazy sports that get made up that get introduced at these shows where people are often just kind of well here's this mixed with this sport and I've created a new one there's a lot of you know innovators in that way or or mix mashers and I think that's very much what they assumed I was doing with disc golf like you throw a frisbee into this thing that catches it we call it disc golf and now we're to a point where the FIED teachers often come up, oh, hey, we do this. Oh, hey, I bought nine holes. Oh, hey, we're, we, we go to the course down the road. We've got 100 Frisbees for our students, and we're already doing this, or we're already using Edge, or you play. Uh, our time is, is limited in terms of our usefulness, in terms of being a, a full-blown resource because disc golf has gotten so big in these 20 years. But uh, nonetheless, it's great to connect with these teachers and – to see teachers that literally did jump on board 15 years ago and ordered 100 discs and they're teaching they've been teaching disc golf ever since is uh is pretty exciting and i hear their stories and maybe they used to go to the course on the other side of town with a a bus trip or a field trip and now they got their their own uh school to invest in nine holes or they they've bought six portable holes all of those types of stories have come as a result of being at this particular show. And so I'm, I'm super glad to be at it again uh, tomorrow. And then right from there, 
off to Vegas. So uh, that's what you're going to see. We were kind of referenced it earlier. The Halloween Classic presented by Legacy is taking place this weekend, and I will be bringing you post-production coverage. It won't be next day. If you think I'm doing next day coverage in Vegas, you're wrong. Uh, it what won't else be... is there to do there, Terry? <laughs> it won't be next day, but uh, we'll get it out as soon as we can. And I am very excited to be out there and be part of the event. So thank you to Sam and the club and everyone else that has any part of it. But uh, And thank you to Legacy, who is your presenting sponsor of the tournament. So that's what's going to be going on. Is there any, any of you going to be in Vegas this weekend in the chat? Let me know. Maybe I'll, Maybe you could help me edit if that's... That help be... Terry Gamble. <laughs> no, I don't need any help doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do very little of that, if any. Do we uh, want to go into an after show? Do we want to roll this in and keep it all together? What are you thinking here, Johnny? No, we'll break it up and do a little after show quick. All right. Well, then with that, I think that's all of our, you know, our serious business before we get to the after show. That's all of our serious business for the night. Um, uh, uh, thank you, Duca, along with Matt. Both of you guys for joining us over at UDISC. We wish them nothing but the best of luck. And uh, congrats to all the people who played well or have anniversaries and birthdays and everything else that I called off. For Johnny V, I'm the Disc Golf Guy. That's 477. Does that sound right? That does sound right. 477. We're going to take a quick break. And in the after show, we're going to have a giveaway, talk about a few other subjects. Uh, So we'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 